However, standing by right now is the one and the only, Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my go to my grave, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davy was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does I mean, how great does that make Davy? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> Uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody. How's your week been? I hope everybody's doing well. Everybody good? The family good? Another great episode this time out. Uh, Mike McGurk. You remember that name? Mike McGurk from that golden era those years that we love so much. She's going to join us momentarily. Um, you know, and she came to the WWF at a time when uh, the industry was really still very, very much male-dominated. Uh, it was a very much male-dominated industry. But if you uh, know anything about Mike, you know that she comes from very tough stock. She is uh, the daughter of the legendary promoter Leroy McGurk. Uh, Leroy McGurk was one tough son of a bitch. I mean, that guy was something else. Uh, was a wrestler before that, but then lost uh, had uh, already lost an eye. And then when he was a wrestler, lost his other eye in a car accident. But he was one of those guys that always got up uh, from the mat and ended up being a, a very successful promoter. And Mike learned a lot along the way. And uh, also uh, in her was that uh, that toughness. And it, it helped her out a lot. And while she may have been a ring announcer and not a wrestler, uh, she could more than hold her own in uh, the squared circle, as you will soon find, soon find out when we get to that conversation. Uh, like I said, we tried to get her on the podcast for a long time. Went back and forth. We had times we had it all set up, and then we had to reschedule. But we finally made it happen. And folks, believe me, it was worth the wait. That is coming up. All right, everybody, time to get to the main event this week, my conversation with Mike McGurk. Ding, ding, ding. Folks, we've had a few trailblazers here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Uh, it's a tough business, uh, but exceptionally tougher for women. And my guest this week was one of the first female ring announcers heard around the world. And that voice is still very much remembered and heard today, if you have the WWE Network. Uh, welcome, Mike McGurk. Mike, great to have you on Primetime. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's still there, and thank you so much. Um, I'm honored and um, really humbled that you guys have asked me and that there's even an interest. Um, I, I, I can't tell you, when I was doing this 30-some-odd years ago, I never, I never, we didn't have what we have now, so I never even dreamed that this could ever come to fruition these many years later that... Um, you know, and I read the stories, and people will tell you, you know, I grew up with you, and and, yeah. and thank you for the memories. I mean, I'm I'm 
it just gets to my soul. (laughs) I was doing a job and uh, trying to feed two young kids at the time and and doing something that I knew and was raised into, thanks to my my father, Leroy McGurk. I got to drop that name. Um, yeah. I couldn't be there with, I couldn't, obviously I wouldn't be here without him and my mom, but, um, anyway, uh, being around it and knowing, uh, how the business worked, how the guys were really is the key is, um, to be able to sustain in there. Um, and knowing if it had been anybody else, I don't know how they would have acted, but I, that was part of the thing that Vince liked when we spoke. Um, I had been doing it a couple of years. Um, in, just on their um, house shows, but never on national television. So um, I sent him a video is how it started. I sent him a, like a 15-minute video, um, and um, I heard back from him like two weeks later, and I was commentating. You mentioned being in the ring uh, as an announcer, but you also did some commentary. So, uh, you know, that was another uh, trailblazing uh thing that you did in the business well thank you sean for the um for the word trailblazing uh, again that was given to me and it was like here you can do this call the match and in my head i'm thinking i'm I, you know i'm i what am i doing here and that it was too good, much good of a gift uh, to turn down and you don't say no um not even thinking, I mean, not even, you know, thinking that this is, because it was second nature. But when they put the uh, headset on you and grill a monsoon that is larger than life or, um, oh, the Duke, he was there. And, you know, you you just go with it and not thinking where it's going to lead, just that I want a place um, in a business that I love so much and that um, actually that a woman is getting to be able to be a part of the business because my dad had told me for years, you know, he, he uh, from the time I was a little girl, they used to tell me um, that uh, the fans would come in and they'd ask my dad, and I'd be the little girl, and, and they'd say, she's the next lady wrestler? And <laughs> my dad, um, absolutely, uh, you could see the eyebrow arch and uh, over his sunglasses because my father was blind at the time, well, all the time that I knew him. And um, I knew that was not going to happen. And to also see how those girls be- were, you know, beat up and um they were they, when I started noticing them, and I was like four or five years old, so it had been like early sixties. They were glamorous, pretty, and but still, they were taking some huge bumps. And you yeah. would see them later. You know, um, I remember Mula from oh God, from the time I can remember Mula, and um, so I understood then that it was you know as I got older, what my dad was meaning. He meant no not anything to take away from the women wrestlers except that it was a hard life and that um, you're going to pay for it in the long run with your body. And, you, you know, then you start seeing the, the wrestlers, the men wrestlers, and then you start seeing, oh, man, they're crippled up. Or, you know, <laughs> um, that's uh, the thing that I always knew from what my dad meant about women in the business. Um, you don't take your wife on the road with you or whatever, you know, and, and uh, or to work with you. And so I knew all those things, and for that 
breakthrough to happen um, was was huge. And it turned out not like I really had wanted it, but, you know, I wasn't the owner of the business. Um, a person, Vince McMahon was. And what he was wanting was more of the, uh, the woman bashing. So, like, you had, you know, um, I would say a call a, a move or something, and then they'd butt in and say, you need to be in the kitchen. You know where your place is, woman. And so it was turning out like that, and um, uh, that wasn't really where, it, you know, any longevity could go. And Certainly couldn't get away with that today. A little today. bit of that, but the ring announcing, yeah, went through. Yeah. Are we there? Yeah, and uh, I'll tell okay. you, you know, you, you mentioned uh, – when we're talking at the beginning of this about, you know, how people remember you and uh, people say that to me all the time. Like if they don't know, you know, haven't seen me or something, but they hear my voice. Do you get that a a lot when people, they hear your voice and they go, I know that that's from my, my childhood. (laughs) They hear the voice, but the most that I um, have been, asked for now they want to um put my tuxedos up for sale uh some of these these um like a wrestlecade or um i think there's a show a dave mooch there's a couple promoters that have asked me to um would you would you consider selling them like i i I, you know i'm like those things have been sitting in my closet I, i guess i kept them for a reason i said the spandex might be a little old but you know i i did um they hey that's why they're spandex. They still, it still moves. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, when I talk to people and they they hear the voice, um, and that's that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, besides that's... comments that I get from who did your hair, and so many times, honest, I saw one uh, recently where it was like, what was I thinking? Well, a lot of times it was Sherry. Sherry would um, do my hair and. You know, I'm not going to say no to her. And that was what she was going to eventually do, was um, do hair. When she retired out of the business, that was she was going to have her own salon and do all that. So I'm like, yeah, sure, Sherry. And big hair was 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 big in the late 80s and 90s. So anyway, I you know, Bobby well, Heenan you know, seemed to like it. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting, though. And you, and you just kind of say it in passing. But you mentioned Sherry. And I, I mentioned how you know how tough this business is uh, for anybody, but for women, it it uh, and especially that period of time, it was very much a man's business. And uh, for you to have found the success you did, and you you did you you uh, you didn't try and become uh, like Howard Finkel in that style. You didn't yeah. uh, you know uh, wear the black tuxedo or necessarily or try and you you did it your way. And uh, I, I don't know if you look back now and realize though that you really were. Uh, breaking through a lot of uh, boundaries within the business that had been in place for decades and decades. It had, and it was unheard of. And when this started, um, the thing that, how it started really was, I got a call, my parents got a call rather, um, it was right after Vince Sr. died. And um, it was a fellow that had worked for my dad, and I dropped these names, but it, John Ringley, and he had been um, married to Francis Crockett in North Carolina. But anyway, all connected. Still, you know how the wrestling back then they were all connections. And he happened to ask my 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 dad if um, there was still a wrestling ring around because this is what was getting ready to happen. Vince McMahon Jr. was going everywhere, 
Um, once his dad had passed away, then that alliance towards the other promoters, he really didn't, he didn't care. Um, and plus the fact you're looking now at 1983 and you already had Georgia television just going out to everybody, you know, we're getting cable, we're getting satellite. And so you have more choices. Then you have, um, Madison Square Garden. So, you know, all of a sudden, Wrestling is now being piped out in New York, and gosh, Leroy, why don't you get any New York stars? So anyway, we um, sold the business in 82, 83, Vince came, and I ended up working because I had a ring set back um, when my dad sold out to to Bill Watts. And um, that one ring that was in uh, a back pasture (laughs) uh, at my dad's ranch became alive, and um, it was authentic. It was um, the thing that it was a free suspension ring, um, all steel, and then we had two by twelve by eighteen boards on it. So um, when I say free suspension, that's that's how it was. You had cables going underneath it. I'm pretty proud of the design, and and I still have that ring here today. But that's how I started. So the, a lot of the boys knew that ring and that it worked well. And the one Terry Garvin that had been in the territory with my father and worked. He was now doing the booking of the ring, and um, I got a couple of uh, shots, one being in Oklahoma City, and um, to prove myself. So, it, I mean, it started really, really from the ground up. So for two years, I was doing, like, just providing the ring and doing anything I could because here, I, in my mind, I knew the business well enough that these guys are flying in. They don't know anybody locally. They've got to trust somebody because they are running opposition now to every promotion that's in the country. And here I am, because without a ring, you don't have any show. So that's, even though people don't kind of, you know, you don't think about the grounds works of it, but I have a ring. And yeah. um, <laughs> it, that, that helps. So one night, and it was in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, I happened to take my mom and my dad. I rented some kind, I rented, uh, used to rent motorhomes so I could take my dad on the road and he could be around the business and pulled this 18-foot steel ring behind it. And uh, there was an announcer that was over there in Mid-South Coliseum. And, again, here the guys fly in. It was Jack Lanza. You knew him well. And um, I could just see, you know, I'm at the the ringside and making sure the card, everything else, and the music's right, everything's good. And this guy's up there from a radio station, and he's just acting like, an ass. I mean, you know, it's like, hey, we want, you know, <laughs> it was, right. and I could see, and here, I could see the agent, which was Jack, and Jack came there with his clipboard, and he was like, get him out, get him out. He looks at me, and he said, come here, takes me to the back, and here's all these people that I have known most of my life and, and loved, Andre, um, I mean, David Schwartz was, I mean, all the big talent was out there, and it was a huge show, and he says, you know how to announce, don't you? And I looked at him, and I'm like, I've never been, to, been up to ringside. And he goes, oh, don't give me that really? crap. And he said, you were raising the business. Your dad had you up there. And I go, no. And I'll revert back to what I said earlier in our interview. Yeah. I never was at the ringside. Those were for paying customers. But anyway, yeah. he didn't want to listen to it. And he had some um, uh, index cards there. And I, knowing most of the talent. I had to write every one of their names down because I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? What I, you know, but, hey, it was going to pay some more money. Yeah. And we just settled down. But the biggest thing was my dad was out there in the audience. 
my mom and my dad. I get up there, and I don't know, it worked. Um, I had my tuxedo on, and I just probably about three octaves higher. Um, I was squealing, but I was there and, and, and got it done. And Jack Lanza came back, and he said, you know, we could probably work this in where you could be, you know, providing the ring and, you know, just come in and you can do the announcing too. Are you kidding? Sure. So it kind of went on for another year like that. And then the, the Houston thing, um, developed. And then when, um, Vince finally got to see the tape of the one that I sent him, that's how that happened. And that was probably the boldest move I ever made. Cause I thought, you know what? We don't, again, I'm taking everybody back. This is 1987. And there's not any cell phones, um, no. pretty primitive video cameras. But this guy that I happened to call, because I was there early, obviously, to put the uh, ring up. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, how is Vince ever going to see this? You know, they, you know, I'd always ask Jack or I'd ask one of the other agents, hey, did, you know, does he know, you know, who's, did, does he ever get to see the show? He, you know, does he have any idea how the reaction to the crowd is? No, he doesn't. So I happened to get in the phone book that afternoon and just happened to look for a videographer. And um, this guy came here, came down to the arena, told him what I wanted. I said, I don't want anything longer than really 10, 12 minutes. I think we ended up maybe we had a 15-minute deal. But here we had a sold-out crowd. We had um, Hulk as the main event. So he needed to see this. And what he also needed to see is that there was a little announcer that was in there, but I didn't want to make it about me. I wanted him to know how I was bringing him in and how I was announcing him going out, but also pan the crowd, and that worked. And it, and um, never knowing what it was going to lead to, but I thought this here, you know, was a short, simple note, and those kind of things. You know, it, it there was progression um, in there, but also handling yourself, and that was huge. Just because it was not a warm reception with the wrestlers at first, even though yeah. I knew a few of them, it was you know you, you got to prove yourself, mm-hmm. and um, you know sure you were okay, you know you're Leroy's daughter, but you know are you some kind of princess? And it's not going to work around here, especially with the schedule that those guys were doing back in the early '80s. I mean, maybe maybe they would go home. Um, once every forty-five days, because Vince was working them, and they were going all across the country and it was it was chaos so anyway that that's how that metaphor it really i feel like i was the, the cocoon in a cocoon and that it just kind of we we did grow and yeah. um there was there was uh uh there was contests along the way um i had wanted to do some interviews like in the in the dressing room and he, he wasn't really sold on that Mm-hmm. Vince being he, until he brings, oh, I think there was a girl named Bonnie, something that came in for a little while, probably about a month, and, it, you know, it's women, and all of a sudden you've got another one, and, and uh, she's doing the um, interviews that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and um, I thought, hmm, that I know what, I, 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 I knew the business well enough that when you feel competition, you're going to have to up your game a little bit and and i did and she didn't and that's where i got to stay a little bit longer but i knew that there you know i could have if i had thought about it it probably would have um 
Um, I, 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 I'm glad I didn't think about it, Sean. I'm, yeah. I'm really glad because I just kept moving forward with the job that I knew, but I had no idea of the, the women now that saw that then and wanted to get into the business or get into the television part of it. And um, I, I was fortunate enough to hold on to that position um, mm. up until 1994. So, well, halfway through 94. So I was with the company 10 years oh. and uh, you know, I learned a lot. I saw a lot. Sean, you did too. We did production meetings together and, uh, you know, there's things that, um, you know, <laughs> um, there'd be things that would happen and they'd, you know, wait till the first one saw it or was I going to break and, and start laughing or was I going to be, you know, Miss Goody Two-Shoes? Uh, I might look like Miss Goody Two Shoes, but hey, go on, y'all, just a bunch of big boys here. I can handle it. So yeah. that helped too. You know, yeah. I I would remind them too that I'd say, look, I'm just a girl from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, <laughs> one of the toughest yeah, ever. Just a girl from Tulsa, Oklahoma. It, and I think I think people are getting the idea here that uh, just from listening to you, that uh, you were not just this little girl from Tulsa, Oklahoma. You're you're you've never let any obstacle in front of you. Uh, get in the way for long. And I think a lot of that has to do from where you came from. And I, and uh, with that, I mean, I, w- I want to take you back because you mentioned your dad and we'd be remiss here if we didn't uh, talk about him because, uh, you know, a lot of people may remember that he was a big promoter in that area, but he was also a very accomplished wrestler. So the, the business was deep in his veins. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people don't know about that part of his life. He, he really, uh, had a very successful career in the ring. He did, and it really started, Sean, um, back when he was a young boy and he lost his first eye. It was uh, kicked out accidentally, um, and that sounds pretty rough, but, you know, we're talking way back, and he was he, he was from a very poor family, and you're talking about my dad was born, oh gosh, 1912, let's go back, and you go through depression, but he had um, a, a, a poor life, and so they took his eye at the age of 12, and he loved sports so much, but the only sport that would take him was wrestling. He loved, he loved ball. He loved, he loved every sport. I mean, I grew up with um, listening on Saturdays. It was, you know, three radios and two televisions on, and it was all sports. And uh, so then he, it, that um, wrestling that he did in high school at Central in Tulsa, Oklahoma, went on to take him to Stillwater and mm-hmm. um, put him through there. He also he majored in journalism with a minor in psychology. Lord, that minor in psychology was killing me because he knew everything, you know. <laughs> you think he needed <laughs> a school to do that? <laughs> so, um, anyway, he was a uh, three-time NCAA champion um, wrestling. His love, his true compassion was where you find the stars, and that was in the collegiate ranks. And um, so that's where it started because he had fully thought, hey, this is over um, when I graduate because he was going to work as a sports writer and had a job at the Tulsa World. Mm. Well, that didn't last, but probably I think um, time, like six months, because there was a promoter here named Sam Avey that – he was doing a lot of other things. He was, from, he was from Canada, but he was also promoting hockey and, and did stage shows. But wrestling was something you know he was getting, getting into. 
mm-hmm. but had want, he wanted to have um, an authenticity to it by ho- hiring this local guy that had quite a um, name for himself at Oklahoma A&M at the time. Now it's Oklahoma State University. Yeah. And that's how he started because the promoter came in there, Sam came in there and asked him, he said, Leroy, what are you making at the paper? And my dad said $25 a month. Well, that's pretty good money for 1933, as I understand. And Mr. Avey said, how would you like to make $25 a week? My dad left the paper. And yeah. in the first, there's a book uh, in Tulsa that came out the first 100 years of the Tulsa world, and he's in it. Um, and about this, this story, how, um, you know, how some people stayed and this person started here and then this is what he developed to. So that's how he did it. And, um, you know, like that's how he knew, you know, Stu Hart was like family to me. I mean, er, the, the names, the Von Erics, that's who I grew up around. They were, they were my, you know, my, I went to school and I had those friends, but, my family was always the wrestling because that's the, the the families always got together. I can always remember I've had Italian food before anybody else did. I had pizza because an Italian wrestler would come over and cook for my father. Mm-hmm. The Spaniards, I mean, it was a, a rich, rich life to be around um, those kind of people. And I say those kind of people, I mean that um, that varied group of people where you know, you're learning Spanish here and just different lifestyles for um, just an only child like me. I mean, I, I loved it. It was, it was um, I, I, because they were my friends. A lot of the older ones, you know, they were always nice to me. I had teddy bears. Heck, I knew Ted. I wasn't aware of it, but I knew Ted DiBiase um, because of his father was in and working for my dad. And he also held the junior heavyweight title belt, which my dad eventually retired with. Because uh, at the time, as we were talking about, um, my dad had wrestled and carried the junior heavyweight belt up until um, his accident in 1951, which is still all before me. This is still stuff that I've yeah. either read or that you know, I had privilege of him telling me because he didn't really like to talk about those times. It was, uh, I'm sure, a devastating time. It didn't happen overnight. He said it was within a period of a, of a year that he lost his sight. And, you know, you think... Uh, somebody that's on top of his game, um, a marriage, he, he was, his marriage was crumbling, um, he was losing his eyesight um, pretty rapidly, and he had gone up to Johns Hopkins to try to get it saved, and they did, the technology just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, that they, so it, this, and I even recently saw a newspaper article where he and uh, my dad's first wife were boarding the plane going to the hospital. So, you know, those things, you think, wow, and that, again, that was before me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you think, God, that man stepping on that plane with so much hope. And he, and he would tell me later on years, he said, you know, I don't even, I don't even think about it uh, as the technology came. He said, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to be disappointed like that again. And, so, but he never he never acted like a blind person to me. That was the other thing that I that you know he talked about diversify. And as I got older, I understood what he meant. Is because thank God he had um, his journalism degree that he never you know he loved to write. He wrote every every sports story that was about um, the wrestlers that or the the card, and he knew what to do. He would write the story. 
of the the uh, impending card, um, and also write the story of what had happened of the the night's matches, and then he would take it. Of course, we were with him, or some one of his guys, Daddy had a couple of henchmen, and um, they uh, would take it up to the sports editor. And that's look, he wasn't paying for it, but he there it was the copy there was you know, and he knew he knew the role and how it worked, and if it was there for them, they probably they probably would run it, and they did. So he you know there was all these things that were building up of how my dad had told me about um, don't always put your eggs in one basket and and as I was young I didn't understand but as I got older I I've, I've done about a little bit of everything you know just yeah. so I would always like he said is you got something to fall back on and um, this was never ever like I said the the wrestling. I thought I had to be a part of it. I thought I had to marry into it because that was what it was. Yeah. And then, um, then to do what I what I ended up doing, and and then to ask my dad, you know, I was like, "Well, what do you think?" And he's like, "I," I he, he was almost speechless. He said, "Well, kid, um, it sounds like you know what you're doing." <laughs> no, I, I I'm just going with what I've heard all my life and what I think the people would like to hear. It's not about. It wasn't about Mike. It was about. Um, again, defying what people had always told me all my life, that a woman had no place in this business, and I felt that I did. Um, Even if I didn't use my body, I still respected what they did with theirs, but I also respected what they were doing, you know, and that's kind of hard to find and define with somebody that doesn't understand it and... um, you know, respect goes a long way, and um, vice versa. It just, um, I never had, I read about, like, all the women later on that um, maybe they played some jokes on them, and I never, I never, I never experienced that um, because they saw me pick my own bags up. They saw me, well, gosh, for the first two years I was uh, starting with Vince on national television, um, that car uh, was just, for me, I uh, was not meant for the for the wrestlers or anybody else. So I was driving by myself um, for those two years and making the shows, and and so it was. There was a you know like times like, am I really doing the right thing? And um, you knew you were. You knew it. Uh, just sometimes it, it would get it get kind of lonesome. Um, but in the long run, it, once I got around people, where I and I knew the job that I was doing. And I think about these kids today. I didn't have any GPS. I mean, I would go to these towns. I'd never been to Boston. But I had learned how to read a map. And I had people that weren't so friendly to, I guess I have an accent, I maybe a little twang. But I could go to Boston. And I would get in there, and I would be re- ready to rent a car. And first of all, we got to get over the hump of your first name, you know, which is Michael. And they'd be looking at me. They'd go, where is he? Yeah. This is he, you know, so you get through that, and they want to know the story, and then they want to tell you, um, I'm trying to get to Worcester, Massachusetts. Well, next thing I know, I'm on the road thinking they're sending me to Worcester, but I'm looking at the map, and 
hell, they were sending me to Salem, <laughs> which is totally north. Um, and you know, so yeah, I can remember doing and learning the stuff by myself. And I went into one place off the interstate, and I was um, asking, I, like, God, I'm thirsty. And I said, Hey, y'all have any Dr. Pepper? Not even looking at the menu or whatever. And the guy looked at me. He goes, Well, around here. So I, I'm like, okay, here we go. And we don't know if it's something that you pour in your head or somebody that you call when you're sick. So uh, I thought, okay, we're back east, and I need to I need to rephrase this. So I said, well, whatever you've got to drink, can I have it? And yeah. so, you you know, those kind of things I, I got without having to be around the wrestlers. I was just um, learning where to go and how to get there and be on time. Yeah. Well, and, you uh, mentioned your, your dad, and, and um, with the, uh, I mean, this all kind of ties into it because you were just, you know, nothing would hold you back. You just said, "I got a job to do, and I've, I've got to do it." And your dad uh, has that accident; he's uh, can't see anymore and can't be in the ring anymore. But then he gets into the business, and you, uh, whether or not uh, he ever wanted you to directly uh, be Wonderful. a part of it, I imagine you just took it all in. But uh, when you came along. Uh, uh, you know, the legend goes that he wanted a son, and that's how you ended up Mike, uh, named Mike. Is oh. that is that true, or is it just oh, you like the name? I, I, I was told to me from, and I was supposed to be born on March 17th, not the 16th, and we always celebrated my birthday on the 17th because it was an Irish holiday, <laughs> McGurk. And, oh, yeah, and then I was told I was supposed to be Timothy Michael. I mean, it was all set. My dad was on the road. My mom's here with, you know, the boy, <laughs> and right. um, uh, the doctor, the pediatrician calls and says, uh, the OB, and he was, he was everything. You know, a lot of doctors were that. They were the OB and the pediatrician and said, hey, i got to go out of town. Let's have that baby today or oh. early that morning. And I was born like two-something on March 16th. My dad was to be back on the 17th, which is when Timothy Michael was supposed to be born. <laughs> and anyway, he didn't get back. Um, it was, I've got a newspaper article that says three days and McGurk baby still unnamed. And I, I have that embossed. And it, I did. I went unnamed because my mom was like, oh, my God, it's a girl. What are we going to do? I'm going to tell him. <laughs> yep. And so my dad, again, been on the road three days with the guys. He's happy. And um, probably a um, few sheets to, you know, had a, a couple of, um, <clears throat> um, I don't know. but it, it, Yeah, he had a couple of drinks, I'm sure. And um, he came in there, and it was like it was on his mind. Of course, he'd already been told that uh, I was a girl, and his name, his middle name was Michael. So he was Leroy Michael, and that's where the Michael came in. And he had remembered way back in the day, when he was out in California wrestling um, in the, gosh, late 30s and early 40s before World War II started. And he remembered of uh, one of the Barrymores, and her name was Michael. He thought that was beautiful. He loved it. And the Kathleen, I'm not really sure, but I think my mom, I don't know where they pulled that one out of, because uh, we were always fixated on, on, uh, on Mike. And Consequently, I went through school hating Mike because, yeah. you know, it, at like that a boy time, named Sue. I'm, oh shit! I had I know I know. Uh, go uh, tell me about it. Thank you, Johnny Cash. And um, <laughs> but you know, hey, if I was ever going to be shy, 
That was not going to be in the cards because you, uh, and I think that was another thing because he, he knew it before I did of what a conversation piece that is and that you better, you know, you got to wear that name, you got to own it. And um, so really through uh, grade school, high school, they knew it because in, uh, oh, when we made the transition from elementary school to junior high, you know, it, was a, it wasn't just the same group of people. They had like three or five uh, different schools coming into the high school, junior high I was at. And not knowing, there's that first name, Michael. I ended up in the boys' gym. Well, I went to that school for six years from 7th to 12th, and it doesn't take real long to figure out when you go in and they've got it's fake on the chalkboard or let's wrestle Mike that, you know, it's <laughs> you better be a little strong to, have, yeah, to be able to handle it. Make it tough. Yeah. <laughs> I was wanting to fight everybody. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was your dad's and, intention. I, Oh, well, we used to get calls. My mom would say, she goes, you've got to quit beating up on these boys. <laughs> and I, I'd kick them. I was kind of taller at the time. I kind of grew pretty fast. But the mothers would call and say, would you please have your daughter quit kicking my son? <laughs> well, It'd be a lawsuit today, you know. But, yeah, um, yeah hey, that, that was how my dad taught me, is you stick up for yourself. And, you know, too, Sean, because he couldn't. Um, he was, I said, one tough cookie. And um, to go through what he did and, and then to um, morph into a promoter. And thank God, again, we'll go back and digress to where the Sam Avey that started him. They had formed a close friendship. And, you know, both everybody was making money. And um, when it came to that and uh, what is Dad going to do, um, they ended up going and letting him buy into these towns that Sam had. And Memphis, my dad had Memphis, and, and the history wow. will show that. He had a little bit yeah. of Tennessee, but Memphis was always his town until he... Uh, and, and I tell this to people, and they probably go, sold out. Well, you did. If, from those days, if you had the television or if you were running it, that's what that National Wrestling Alliance meant. You didn't. You didn't go and infringe on your neighbor's um, promotion. You didn't try to run against them. You didn't do that. They worked together. It and um, but anyway, it, he. Um, I guess he sold that in like the late fifties, and then decided to concentrate on um, Louisiana, and that's where he he really you know got into uh, like you said another whole successful phase of his life that. Um, I, you know, it probably, he knew, he he could see what he wanted in a match, and he knew what the people liked, and sometimes I think some people have, have told me, well, that's why maybe your dad wasn't a good promoter because he was um, more for the boys, and the promoter has to be stiff and... Right upper lip and, you know, not have a heart for the guys. But my dad had a heart for the guys because he had been, and he still was one in his heart. So yeah. he took care of the families. He took care of the guys. And um, um, and and when he did acquire uh, the Louisiana Territory, heck, Pat Patterson would tell me, and still to this day, shake his head. He was like, your dad and that Louisiana Territory, because you had 
oh, sometimes between um, each night, because we're running seven days a week. We had, yeah. one, At one time, at the height of my dad's promotion, at, they were running two towns a night, seven days a week, somewhere between Oklahoma and Louisiana, and, and bicycling tapes, which I mean by, if anybody's, uh, what they used to do is, you know, they, they'd have a, a tape show, and then um, that show would be down south, and then we'd have another show being shown up north, so we could t- rotate the talent. Right. And um, because those, I mean, when you're, you've got a town in uh, New Orleans, uh, or Homa, Louisiana, which is down by there, on a Sunday afternoon, and then you've got to make it to Tulsa by the following night, people, you can add that up pretty quick. It's, um, it's a long old trip, and you're right. driving... You know, uh, and that was done. And I, I know what Pat was telling. He goes, hey, we didn't want anything. He said, it was good money, but he said, man, those trips. But it was, uh, you know, Dad Dad broke in a lot of them. And, um, I mean, my gosh, that was part of it. Because Oklahoma, if you can make it in Oklahoma, um, then, you know, you, and, and they traded talent. You know, you're, the talent would come in, um, stay, maybe, you know, two years, and then go over to Kansas City. Or the, because, again, you have promoters that um, work together and say, hey, we'll switch talent, and it kept fresh for, um, for everybody. And um, it, it was a different, a different uh, way of life. For sure, um, and yeah. then you know the '50s wrestling was different from the '60s, and I watched that evolve a little bit. Not of the '50s, but just I can very vaguely remember seeing this guy with these robes and knowing that that was Gorgeous George, you know. And mm-hmm. but I can't, you know, the the best that I can recall is Bolo, which was the mask guy, you know, and I, he was such a bad guy. But I knew him as Al Lovelock, and my parents never told me about wrestling and you know and, and how it was or you know i just knew out love lot but i was scared to death of bolo not you know not thinking that the, the two were the same <laughs> but hey it uh it uh, was it was it was fun and so i saw that evolve and then you go into your 70s and then you know as i said the 80s and and how I missed the business so much, and it had been probably a year or two, but we were promoting. I was doing a tough man contest um, with my husband at the time, and so I really never got out of promotion, but I wasn't, I wasn't announcing. I was um, either selling the, the tickets or um, um, we were doing promotion with the beer. You know, I mean, beer and wrestling, it goes together. So, you know... It, and then we got when until we got the call, but it was it was a, a life that I knew and enjoyed, and there's never been any truer uh, fans than wrestling fans. I mean, if I was ever in trouble as a little girl, um, those fans knew me. They knew who I was, and they would protect you beyond their own skin. And um, I, I, you know that that has never left me ever, and well, uh, I find that now. I mean, it's clear that you're you were very close to your dad. I, I just imagine. I mean, uh, at one point, and you're growing up. He's running a business, but uh, you know, he's got this beautiful daughter. And when at uh, what point do the the boys start noticing you? And uh, how did he deal with that? Because <laughs> that must uh, have been very difficult for him. I'm sure it was because he would <laughs> tell me 
um, you know, he his way of of knowing anybody. He would ask me, "There, come here and uh, let me feel of you." And that is something that please all your listeners just just listen to me. A blind man. That's how he sized anybody up from the and and nothing in a bad way, whatever. But he was getting a mental picture of how somebody somebody was. But my dad, my dad wouldn't do that to me, and never. He would just say, "They tell me um, that you're a pretty girl," and I and I think, "Oh my God!" I I never thought of that. I never, still to this day, ever. I'm like, "What? You need glasses?" <laughs> you know, I just don't. I I don't think of that because I don't. I, anyway, but my dad would size them up that that way. But when it came to me and I would feel this, you know, he, he just he was very always protective, would tell me, so I so. want you to do this. I want you to be strong. I know how guys can be. But consequently, really, I didn't have that trouble in, in uh, school. They, um, the ones that did were bold enough to come over um, were, <laughs> they knew my dad. And my, as I said earlier, my dad had always had men around them that carried badges and stuff. I don't know if they were real, but I mean, <laughs> there was, there was, I, I always was afraid dad would always say something. He's like, you know, I got friends in Kansas city and I was like, Oh my God. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got a, I got and a I shovel got a, and uh, 45. You won't be missed as they say. Oh my God. <laughs> and I mean, you know, he, and one time this true story, it was later on and I, I was having a party my dad's got to be there. My dad was there. And when I say got to be there, he's got to be there. He's, yeah, he's, okay. he's, he's got to be there. And because he's so, he was so interesting. He, um, that he read. And when I say read, he had a talking book. He was so well read. I could remember going to sleep at night, listening to that droll voice on that record, which was, um, it was called talking books, which was every mm-hmm. kind of print that was ever done. And they would be available to the to these blind men. And he, again, the only two things that he ever um, ever did was he never read Braille, didn't like that, except in cards. And then he uh, listened to this talking book because he yeah. walked his leader dog. He did, which a lot of times, if it wasn't the Labrador, it was my mom. Mom was the other was the backup leader yeah. dog because that she, no, you know, she was twenty four seven with him. But they, um, somebody, you know, you get to drinking a little alcohol and a little loose of the tongue. And next thing I know, I'd come in the other room. My dad is in the wrestling stance. He is all, he's down on all fours, you know, amateur wrestling. And I, he's, he's, he's splurting out some, some nice words. And, um, next thing I know, because the kid goes to the bathroom. And we wondered, we're like, where is he going to go, Dad, you know, God. And he goes, well, that's smart. Anyway, he was saying something like what I grew up with is Leroy was telling me, is wrestling really fake? And I'm telling oh, you, boy, silence right. went everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. that's where my dad then got down on all fours and he said, because he was going to show him what fake was. Yeah. And uh, Well, the guy ended up, we're like, where is it? Wait, it never came out of the bathroom. Sean, he opened and he went out the bathroom window. I mean, he was gone. So I was like, "Well, Dad, all right." And you know, it, that's just part of it. I'm, I was gone one time too long away from home on my bicycle, and the next thing I know, there's some big rustler in a big coat. Um, you know, they always they dressed really good 
way back in the 60s like they do now, but, um, you know, he came by, and um, I might have been talking to probably two boys and three girls or whatever, but he went right for the boys and flashed the badge and said, um, uh, this conversation is over, and I, I was escorted home. So, yeah, I, I was, uh, they kept pretty tight reins on me. So. Well, you know, I've been... And nobody been wanted ever wanted to venture into uh, Leroy's, so, um, because well, he... He's pretty. He was. He was stout even till the day he died. Yes. Telling, I'm and, and telling protected. you, um, oh. and, and I want to ask you. I don't know how much you want to. You, you want to talk about this, but um, uh, your relationship with Brian Blair and I had I had oh, him yeah. on the podcast, and he mentioned the time it was during your courtship, I think, when <laughs> Leroy uh, he was over at the house or something, and Leroy came in and had a gun, and. Oh. Uh, can, maybe you can elaborate on that, because I've been dying to uh, collaborate this story. <laughs> well, um, hmm. <clears throat> which time? I know <laughs> that, uh, um, and that goes back. Now, just, let me just tell you, beforehand, I saw Ted DiBiase. That was where it all started. My dad broke his arm over that one, because yeah. um, I, was, I was outside. Ted and I were like, okay. Um, I was 21 or something, he's 22, and I was like, I'm in love and this is it, and my dad's standing up there on top, we had like three stairs, it was a big uh, colonial house, and they had big, big columns, I'm, Ted and I are down stairs, he's up there, and he, and we told him that, and he stood there for a minute, and all of a sudden he took his right hand and he swung it into that post, oh my God, oh God, <laughs> no God, anyway, um, daughter is going to be hooked up with a wrestler and he broke his arm doing that and uh, but nobody got hurt except dad but there was a story about that then brian and he loved brian and there was a but there was a, a respect that came um with that because of who brian was and and not to take anything away from ted at all um except that um ted was more of a heavyweight and my dad really had a um, uh, uh, soft heart for Brian because of who had trained him and that he was very, you know, the Briscoes were, were part of my dad's uh, discovery out of OSU, and um, Brian was there uh, with them, but he was trained by a Japanese fellow that was uh, terrific, and it was Hiro Matsuda. And, yeah. oh, yeah. And so there oh. is the tie-in, and... I can tell you a story about Matsuda. I knew I knew him when he first came over from Japan, and my dad had him here. And I remember, you know, this is how I know how the wrestling business and the guys used to be because he was he used to carry around a um, a box of milk bones, dog bones, you know, milk bones. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, well, he was told that if he eats that, it's good for his bones and it's going to make him stronger. And <laughs> I mean, they, they, uh, I, that, and I remember as a little kid, I. Right? Yeah. But that's dog bones, Daddy. And, you know, and my mom would go, "Shh, just, just yeah. leave it alone, leave it alone." Right. So yeah, I, I saw how things were in the business early on, and was told that um, just remember, kid, if they don't tease you, they don't like you. So maybe I have a lot of friends that I didn't know about because they teased me. But Brian, um, it is. There was a struggle, um, and. Um, the gun came out after the struggle. I, there might have, there was something that happened um, about, and my, my mom and dad, I was the only kid, 
And yeah. when they were trying to make decisions or something, they always, you know, come on, kid, we're, and we would drive. We would yeah. drive, and, and my mom would drive, and we'd discuss it. Or that they thought I wasn't happy or something. And um, anyway, that my dad happened to say something, and he said, well, she's my goddamn daughter. And the next thing I know, Brian's coming out, and we had a porch. It was up at a ranch, and it was um, a, a big porch with um, uh, it had crosses and you had your your timber up and timber down but they were crosses mm-hmm. they broke through those things i don't i this is my yeah. dad i'm looking at there's my dad and there's my i don't know if I, if I was engaged or if we were married yet and my mom and i are sitting there and they're rolling on the ground it's like oh jesus oh god well brian got up and and um he was he was good but he 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 stopped because it was going too far, but I'm telling you, my dad, for a blind man, I mean, once he knows where you were, um, <laughs> he was not a blind man. He, God, he, and that's, I, oh my God, I can tell you he had, and it, I, I've heard that, that if you lose a sense like that, that the others are so much I, more perceptive, and yeah. he could hear pins drop, and he would know where you were at. He would follow your voice. You know, um, um, if you were sitting on the couch and there were two or three people, he could absolutely point you out and look, you know, look at each one. Um, so anyway, that was a, a time that I think we didn't know Alzheimer's was beginning, but, um, and I, and to the struggle that, um, that it, and it was a hard time because there was a struggle between he and and Bill Watts and a territory yeah. that my dad this was his, and he didn't want to retire, but right. um, his ideas and things didn't go along with what Bill wanted, so we put everything into Brian and uh, yeah he was just too young we were both too young to uh, really handle running this business and trying to run opposition. George Bill, this was still, this is 78 now, so we, we're not even, we're not, we're not even, Vince McMahon's not even in the picture, and, and besides, Senior was still alive, but um, they decided to split, and my dad took Oklahoma, and Bill took Louisiana, and um, so here I was with Brian, so we're trying to be married or trying to get into that. We're also running his ranch. And Brian's heart was still in the wrestling business. He wanted to be a wrestler, but the pressure of him being like Dad's right-hand man or what they call a booker calling the matches was too much. Brian knew, and as he saw, he the boys treated him different. Mm-hmm. And they would, you know, because, well, we were married to Leroy's daughter, yada, yada, yada. And Brian didn't like that kind of pressure. And uh, I don't, I don't blame him at the, uh, you know, twenty-two, twenty-three, ah, uh, and and just starting, maybe he'd been in it two years. Um, the thing that he did like, though, is that when we did get married, um, my dad made a phone call to Ed Francis, who was a promoter in Hawaii, and that's where we got to go. It was our honeymoon, but he worked, and uh, who, but hey, who cares? I was there a month, and it was great. So, but Ed Francis again was another one of those junior heavyweight pe- talents that my dad had and um, and knew, and that was again what you did. You know, you had, you uh, promoters would call my dad, and my dad would call them back. Again, that alliance was so 
so dear. And um, it was a friendship, and they met every year. Um, for a long time, it was in Las Vegas. My dad had them in Mexico one time and then in New Orleans. But every year, the alliance would meet, and they have a grievance committee, and my dad was on that with Vince Sr., and that's how I knew um, I did never meet Junior, but I knew of him because of, of his dad right. and getting to meet Senior. And um, uh, so it, I used to hear Vince Senior talk about his son, Vinny, that, and I would ask, oh, is he you know, a wrestler? Oh, no, no, he, he's into television. That's where he is. <laughs> a few years later, no kidding, he's yeah. in television. Sure. So, um, yeah, um, the stories... Or just you know, you never know what your future is is bringing at the time, and it's it's a that's how life is is um, the surprises of it. But oh. yeah, I've, I I uh, can tell you that there was a few times that Brian and my dad um, hooked it out over disagreements. But yeah, did he really? I, did he I, take a couple of shots at him actually? Because I think, I think Brian told the story. Well, that. I you know the stories go. <laughs> To where um, he he took some shots at the house in the house, and we were all my mom, me and Brian were in the other room, and um, he he was he was mad. He was he, yeah. I don't know what happened. I don't know anything, and and um, but it was it was a fight, and um, and I, he felt that this is what he needed to do, I guess, and. Uh, um, because we weren't listening to him, and he pulled that forty-five out, and I'm telling you, um, that you could see the smoke come down the hall, and it's like, oh shit, oh my god, um, and, and and then you hear this wicked laugh, and it's my dad. He goes, he <laughs> <laughs> wasn't a good shot. Yeah, he thought he goes, you all been trying to plan my funeral or what? And I, oh my god. Well, and there's another thing I don't know if Brian remembers. We were on a trip, and we weren't. We were definitely um, in the um, engagement status or something, and we were in the, the Lincoln. We had a when they had the big Lincoln town cars. And my dad always slept in the back seat. And he, that was his thing, and um, so I, we left Tulsa and been driving a lot. Had got beer. Oh God, I know. Um, so Dad was drinking back there, and. Um, so he was sleeping after he drank a few beers. Well, I don't know. We were somewhere um, by the time in San Antonio. We'd been on the road a lot, I think, um, and just giggling and laughing. And next thing we know, he's throwing empty beer cans at the front of the car. <laughs> That's my dad. Um, but he had apparently been awake and listening to us talk, and he had had enough of that. And uh, my dad was uh, very strict. Um, and he is, he, uh, didn't like a lot of BS, as he said, I didn't see him, um, he, he just always, and I think a lot of it probably he was on guard, um, because of his blindness mm -hmm. and, um, didn't want anybody ever to take advantage of him. And, um, I think that the, the pressure of trying to hold on to the territory and putting so much into Brian and not feeling that Brian was in it, and he, he really wasn't. And that's nothing against Brian. I love him to the day. I'm going to go see him next week. I supported him in his first year out at CAC um, because he represents that part of me that nobody else knows. Um, you know, and they like Jim Ross has some great stories, too, and I'll be seeing Jim, too, and I can tell you about 
the story about Jim when I first saw him on a spot show that my dad had him run, and he had the wrestlers in a cow arena um, in, uh, oh, man, I think Fayetteville, Arkansas. With no sides to the thing. It was actually a show arena, and Jim was in these overalls. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's, that's, our, that's our promoter. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> Yeehaw. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's JR. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I remember that very well, those things. So, um, Before we yeah, get to your... Because I've got stories on them. Yeah. Before we get to, I want to talk about your years with the WWF, but um, tell us about your mom. I, I, you talked uh, about that she was kind of like 24-7 and had to put up an awful lot. Tell me about your mom. The best. The best. She was from um, Siloam Springs, Arkansas. Never had been married. Um, knew of my dad as like, she said, you know how you think of Elvis? Well, that's how I thought of your dad. Well, so she knew, you know, knew of him when he could see, and the the first wife, because he was a Tulsa boy, so there was always things being said, because she had, as I said, she had, was from Siloam, a little bitty town in Arkansas, just over the Oklahoma border, and then she had gone to a business school at the age of 16, she graduated early, smart gal, and um, then took a job at the bank, and um, one day, the fella came in, and... Um, had been talking to my mom for I think his own self, but um, anyway, the word got out. My dad had been, you know, was going through this divorce and stuff, and it it happened that this man came in and said, um, "Larry McGurk would like to meet you, and would you step out to the car?" And so here's my dad, newly blind, and mm. and my mom took on a lot, but she loved him, and mm. I'm uh, if, if there's anything good about me. I hope there is. I, 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 uh, I, the soft-hearted part is my mama. Uh, my dad had a, a soft heart too, um, but he, you know, he, my mom just put up with so much, and that the love that she had for him. But she, when she started that, the story is great. She, like, she told me, she said, when I met your dad and married your dad, he had a cook, he had a housekeeper, he had a chauffeur, and about five men that always took care of him and you know because he was he was blind and um and was leading him around and he had just got gotten into the leader dog part of it and um so she said and then I married him and she goes I used to look for things to do and so she would offer she goes well let me cook let me do this well she became all of those people oh, and she right. would tell me she said oh my god what was I doing you know saying <laughs> I'll do this and do this and she drove him she became the driver oh, really? she, she drove him, him too huh huh she drove him too. I mean, did it oh all. Oh my God! Oh God! Yes! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, absolutely! Uh, all the time, um, all the time. And if he wasn't with the guys, but my mom drove him to the towns. Um, uh, just oh yeah, uh, worked then. Not only then she got into the office part. So my mom did everything and i don't know how she did and then of course my dad would you know find something um <laughs> again dad you you're just a little bit higher each time dad and he would get upset because the house wasn't taken care of well god i mean look where she's been and i think a lot of it you know um i knew to go with it because my there's a lot of times that my mom didn't have time like more normal moms or whatever normal moms do nowadays or then 
because she worked and she she took care of my dad. So a lot of I became very independent, and that was again another um, thing that I thought was pretty bad then. But I, you know, it was very good, and I know why they were doing it. Is is not to be dependent on anybody else and. And it wasn't that I fed myself or did any of that, but you, you know, I didn't have things to entertain me. They were my entertainment. Yeah. Um, and, and I got to go on the road with them a lot when I wasn't in school. And I learned to be at, a, at, at an arena at 10 o'clock in the morning because my mom would open the box office up. Now, my dad probably would come and most likely 95% of the time would be coming over later with the guys. Yeah. So, um, my mom did everything, and um, devoted was just, I can't even, I mean, people have wrote about it. I've read it in um, books, too, about how devoted it, my mom was. And, and even Jim Ross, he was telling me when I last spoke to him, he was like, God, I loved your mom. I mean, I can hear that from Brian, from anybody, about how they loved my mom. And she yeah. just, she, let me tell you about this, that she was when so this is another thing about the biz. She had no idea what smart, smart to her was you went to school and you were smart and you made good grades, right? Well, she's in the restroom, in the ladies' room, and there was other restless wives in there, and they were talking. My mom was not invisible. My mom was not visible at the time. And they were talking about, well, you know, Leroy's wife, she's not smart. And da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, and so my mom was just, she's like, she came out of the bathroom stall and she goes, yes, I am. I graduated high school at 16. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and she goes, that's how green and dumb I was because your father never <laughs> told me about what smart meant. And um, so, you know, that, that was my mom. He, it, but my dad was that way, too. I, like I said, I didn't know anything about business that I loved it. I loved it for what it was until I was about... And even when they told me at 18, my dad was so sad about it. He was... Because he, he's like, kid, you know, his respect and love was always for amateur wrestling. This was a living. He didn't always agree with what was going on, and that's why he still had the heart to take care of the guys. If, he, if one of them was hurt, he he would help their family. You know, that's what the promoters did you 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 know they don't have any money they can't work they're hurt and he would take care of them if they need to be off and you know that just that that doesn't you get happy people when you take care of them and i I met a lot of happy people when they were working for dad but you know things change and i understand with bill's point of view and uh taking it to uh, larger heights and and that and that that fresh ideas and that happens. I just you know I'm part of it that I didn't like is how he uh, how he took care of my my parents and you know he he locked them out of their office and and sent a courier to their to their home and said your stuff will be packed up in a box. That's tough. That's that's tough for uh, Leroy McGurk and uh, the things that he had done for Bill and other people and. Um, so again, Brian's in there in this whole mix of it, watching all this come down. And so, you know, he, he, he ended up being a fall guy, you know, I just, it could have been anybody, but Brian took care of himself and he later on, you know, he, he respected my dad and we both figured it out as why he was trying to hang on to the only thing that he had left, 
Um, and he, like he said, he was a poor boy, and he never wanted to be poor again. And um, he, you know, he, I'm sure, is what does the future hold, and um, how am I going to do it? I'm now, you know, at the time he was in his late 60s, and how am I, you know, start over again? Ooh. And now you're, you've got um, satellite television, and uh, we had just gotten on to um, the U channels, okay? So we only had three channels, the ABC, NBC, and CBS here. And so when we took a switch, because Bill ended up with our television contract, and then we ended up on Channel 23, which is the U station. It was hard for the – not everybody got those at that time. Yeah. Kind of taking people back, like, you didn't get a U channel? Okay, no, you didn't. And um, yeah. so um, – and uh, at least I'm not back when radio started, but you – know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it – it was hard for them to change the channel, and so much wrestling was coming in that it was probably the best thing that could have happened in the digression that it did with my dad um, selling out and just saying, "Hey, you know, I'm 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 done." And um, because I, I, he can tell when he was alive, he could tell you, and I remember him telling me this. He said, "You know, kid, when we were paying." Uh, God awful amount of money each week for television because they would come out and uh, produce it. Um, he would tell me, he said, you know, when television first started, they were coming to me. And they would because they were looking for content to put on, uh, to run on television. And, um, you know, we found a spot. We were on Friday nights back in the day, and then um, it became Saturdays. But, um, I, yeah, it was huge. Oklahoma City used to have this guy, uh, Sean Mooney. He's never as good as you, or ne- <laughs> definitely not as good-looking as you, but it was, his name was Danny Williams. And his logo, his thing, his uh, closing statement was, watch out for flying chairs. And I still have people, when I go to do independent shows in Oklahoma, I'll have these old-timers come up. And I'm an old-timer, so I'm not... I'm not knocking anybody, but they'll say, I remember it, and they'll tell me, watch out for flying chairs, and um, yeah, because that was about what wrestling was, and there was lots of always flying chairs and and um, and things going on, but um, yeah, there, there's just the changes, and talking about my dad and, and, and that uh, how sweetheart of my mom was and she was the she was she was the soft side of my of my uh of my dad and um how they got together and she just fit right in i mean just from have you know having me and then um raising me uh with a with a strict dad and she she supported that you know she um if if my dad was worried about that um i was going to have I, I couldn't have chocolate he didn't want me having sweets because it was going to ruin my teeth <laughs> and the wrestlers would come by and give me a coke and a hershey bar and of course what would i do dad i would tell him like man that was a good coke that was a good hershey bar man that dad would find out who gave her his kid some candy so <laughs> it was it was a um, uh, fun crazy life and um it was fun to talk about, and had it been any different, I wouldn't get to be talking to you right now yeah. and to all your listeners. So yeah, it's a, um, it sounds like a great combination, though, between your mom and your dad, and they had you well prepared, whether or not you realized it or not, that you would uh, go on to work for the WWF at the time 
And what was not easy, as I mentioned, it was it, it's a tough business. But uh, you you were working for the WWF before you uh, really made your debut. But for most people that uh, remember you, it's from when you started appearing on television. And it's funny because we both started about the same time in, in uh, 87. And yeah. uh, when you got there, I mean, you, you knew you'd been around the business pretty much your whole life. But uh, it had to just be overwhelming because oh, now you're traveling to all these cities. You are these arenas. Uh, we're you know we're talking. There's always more than ten thousand people at those uh, every stop. Uh, what was it like when you first arrived, and how did you deal with it? Well, let me tell you first. And you were taught. We went back on uh, earlier about like the sherry, and um, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't even have. I didn't even ask for a dressing room when I first started out. Um, if we did, if I did dress and, and use that, I, I did it as we set up the ring. I'd go in there, use the showers, and be ready before the guys got there an hour before the arena because there wasn't any dressing rooms. And you don't ask for it. I mean, that, you know, if you ask for something, then, you know, you're causing a problem. Yes. And that's the thinking of that. You know, if you, you know, you just did what you could do. And and not cause any trouble. Um, like the old adage goes, um, uh, you can be seen but not heard. So we don't want to hear you. You know, <laughs> don't don't ask me for something. Yeah. And it's, so that part, um, and just the like you said, the from going from what I had seen, and of course doing the house shows, but going into a national televised setting and these huge crowds and people that I didn't know from Howard Finkel to, you know, your television people. And there, and I'm sure, my God, who is this? And what are they doing with her? Um, and yeah, maybe for first year or two, I, you know, they all think, well, she had to get her job somehow. You know, yeah. God, it couldn't be on my own merit, do you think? Yeah. But that's the thinking back in those days. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because... The women wasn't there, so you know. But that was a thing that I, when I had talked to Vince before we did this um, national television thing, um, I, he never, you know, he he just said you'll be fine. I never, he never told me what it was going to be like, um, and it really it was just throwing yourself into a situation of do or die. And yeah. my do or die was, and I kept on saying the back of my head. Why? Why I can do this, but what? Don't let this bother you. Meaning all of the the around or like the Howard saying, "Do you know what you're doing?" You know, there's a lot of people and trying to already. Oh, take your strength away, or whatever you've got in there that that you know, just peel away it a little, or make you yeah. make yourself doubt yourself. And yeah. um, you know, I didn't even. Uh, I might have hit me a couple of times, and but I, the thing that I knew to say really quick was, "Oh no, sir!" You know, <laughs> is, is I'm I'm listening to you, and and I'm getting ideas for what you do, and then I'll take it from there. And he, uh, Howard, was like, "Well, this is the way you're supposed to do it." And I thought, "Yeah." I, and before we whatever yeah, comes it, out of my it, mouth is what's going to happen, and and I'm going to be up there, and you're not, because I remember another thing a smart man told me. And he said, if you ever 
think about, you know, that you're even intimidated by any of those people. Mm-hmm. First of all, this is the only time that they're going to listen to you, so take your best shot. So, <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. you know, there, nobody can stop me. Uh, Vince couldn't come out there or anything, so just if I delivered right and 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 kind of animated my way through, and if they didn't like it, I knew I wouldn't be there. And plus the fact, he wasn't, he wasn't the one that asked me. He wasn't the one that put me there. None of these people were but the one Vince McMahon. And, you know, I don't know what you had with Vince, and I just, I just want to sidestep over here. I have nothing to say ever bad about Vince and how he treated me. Um, and I mean that by my family, too. Um, he, he just, I didn't even want it to come to an end. I understood. Um, I was given a chance to, to go to Connecticut and live, but I couldn't. Uh, it was one thing that my mom just she couldn't. She'd been up there, and she just it, she, she couldn't do it. She said, I, I, it's just not for me. So I, that was, again, the choice I had to make is, is not to go on any longer. But um, he, he gave me free reign, I, I guess. And that's how I, I mean, um, the first time that I went to San Francisco, I think that was my second time on national television and God, I ended up getting there late. I had a Russian cab driver that did not speak English and I was saying cow palace, get me to the cow palace. And the, so my first dressing room at that time was with, um, uh, a bird named Frankie. And <laughs> so it was Frankie and I, <laughs> Oh man, I am hitting a big time was- now. Yeah, so, um, yeah, from even like dressing rooms. So, yeah, intimidated, but I didn't, I was thankful. You know, I, I, that was, I, I was thankful to be there. I didn't care about um, having my name and lights or anything. I was a part of something that my dad loved. And consequently, I know I've been talking your ears off, but when it came time that I lost my dad, and it was just at the beginning, everything that was going on. I started the television in April, which I just had an anniversary. I had a see, I had a fan reach out to me and say, April twenty second, nineteen eighty eight, and I'm like, whoa! That was my first time that on Springfield Television. And um, anyway, my dad got sick um, that summer. Um, by August, we kind of knew it was it was bad, but I lost him September ninth, um, eighty eight. So here I was just starting, and yeah. Vince had been flying me to make sure that I was with my family every weekend. And the, um, from April on, I would be, during the week, Monday through Friday, would be working at the new studio that he had. Yeah. You know, Bruce Pritchard and then um, Old Mean Gene, he was putting it together. It was a new studio. And that was his intention for me to move up there and then um, work in the studio and then go on the road to be part of the television part. Well... When it came to that my dad was sick, and this, this again, Vince flying me back and forth because of me being a mom, that was where he was at. That's what kind of guy he was. Probably doesn't want people to know that, but he was a good guy, and there was um, um, a hope, and he he kept his word. Well, when it happened that my dad passed away, the first person that I called, was, and it was Vince, and um um, that was when I guess could get to talk to him. I don't get to talk to him anymore. Um, he, I said, I'd get me on the road. 
just get me on the road? And he said, no, you need to be there with your family. And I said, but my family is on the road. He uh, did tell me, stay here. He paid me for the six weeks that I was off uh, every week and then put me back on the road. And the first time I was back on the road then was um, back in San Francisco. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, the first person I saw and ran and hugged, and probably people don't know this, was Bobby the Brain Heenan. He was a dear, he was, I, I never knew if he really, really liked me, but when it came time that, that something like that happened, they knew I was hurting, and I've never seen such outpouring of nice, nice people. They were um, yeah, family. Oh, just uh, unbelievable. You and, yeah, you mentioned so, uh, yeah. Howard Finkel. You mentioned Howard Finkel, and I always wondered this, because, you know, I knew Howard very well. Uh, yeah. And, and um, he, I always wondered how he received you, and did he help you, or was it kind of resistance initially? Oh, it was very much so, um, and I didn't understand why, because I would talk to him about, you know, Howard, um, well, because I was had gig. respect for him, and I want everybody to know that. I just, uh, his delivery, hmm. what he did, and yeah. who... I, there was, there wasn't, I wasn't trying to be a female Howard, you know, and I, I told him, I said, Howard, you won't be able to wear the tux like I do either. So, you know, let's just, <laughs> you, you're you, and which is great. And there's room enough here because he wasn't doing what um, I was doing. Mel was doing it. And um, mm-hmm. I eventually took over his spot and that's, but it was also something, and this is Vince. Let Vince be Vince, you know, and and right. don't blame me. Go, you know, go talk to Vince if you don't like it. Well, he wouldn't do that, but I would tell him, and and uh, you know, that was the best way that I knew to get with him and 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 show him the respect that I felt that he deserved. And then times is like, hey Howard, you know, it, it's not only just one person that needs to know everything. This is and. I always thought of it as a wheel. I said, there's a lot of spokes to this thing. And if the spokes get, you know, out, then it kind of slows everybody up. So I said, can we all just have this information so this runs smoothly that we don't have to go run after Howard? But Howard liked, and so you, you, you feed into that. Howard liked to have, he, he, he wanted people to come after him. And, you know, he wanted to be important. That's kind of where I'm stumbling into saying that, which that's that's fine, that's great, and and you earn that. And but he was always, I felt um, it was very hard to to work around him or try to do anything to get him any information. It just wasn't going to happen. Just wasn't going to happen. Um, there was never any fights. We were always cordial to each other. I I never went any farther because I didn't want to know. Um, I just didn't, I really, I didn't care. I just knew I wanted to keep my job and, um, and as long as I did it and I, that I would hold on to it. But now Howard, Howard was, was hard to, to work with. And I think too, because of the intimidation and, and, um, you know, I would see him years later. I would go up to a show when WWE was uh, near home, and I would call out. I never asked to go and run into the show. I would just say, hey, Howard, I'd be out there in the crowd, and he'd look, and he goes, what are you doing out here? And I said, just being part of the crowd. And uh, I asked him how he was doing, and he would tell me, he goes, oh, you know, they throw me a bone here and there. And I was like, he's never changed. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, not, yeah. it's poor, poor Howard. <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, and I'm you know, sitting the, out here in the parking lot. Come on, Howard. Yeah, yeah. but uh, at what point you start get you started uh, getting comfortable at what you were doing? Uh, did you become conscious because you you know you, the way you you started having uh, you know it was subtle. I mean, but you would have different outfits. Your yo your your tuxedos were great. You really stood out, and and I don't know if you realized it at the time, but you were kind of setting a stage or paving a road for others that would come behind you, but was it just something you just said, I just want to be look different or, I'm, or how, what was behind the thinking uh, behind the way you presented yourself in the ring? Well, it started like this, Sean. I had already always seen the announcers or um, like a good, a boxing match and you would always see the commentators. They were dressed up. They looked sharp and the announcer too. Um, so when I started doing that and staying in the ring, not in the ring, but I was doing the uh, the bell and everything, I dressed up and I had my um, timekeeper, the same thing, you know, I want you in a suit. Well, I ended up getting, because um, uh, um, I, I didn't have a seamstress, and I was uh, I bought a man's tuxedo. And so that's why it's kind of long in the crotch in the early days, because it actually yeah. is a man's tuxedo that I was renting. Um uh, and then they eventually bought like the white ones and the the black ones, and you see these big these big pants. And thank God the girls, the sewing girls, came along with the spandex and their sewing machines, and we got together and had some great yeah. ideas. But it came out. I didn't. I, I wanted to have the female again. I want the woman up there. The woman can be in there and do everything that a man can do. And that's and that, again. That was my edge to try to get into a man's business. I can, I can, not. I. It was not about selling sex or skin or anything like that. It was about just giving a little bit of female touch and the the fanciest things that I thought that would work. And um, was my shoes. I always got like, um, you know, um, there's no place like home shoes. <laughs> Judy Garland, yeah. and they were always sparkly. Or I'd be out in Vegas, but I always liked the sparkly shoes because the tuxedo was kind of eh, in the early days. But that's how. I started, well, at least they'll notice my shoes. I'm getting the man's tuxedo, and it got heavy. And um, that's where we came up with it, is, and plus the fact my dry cleaning bill to carry that thing. So when the girls uh, started, they go, well, why don't we'll do something, and we'll still keep the tails. And I said, I want the tails. And I always wore a tuxedo, an actual tuxedo shirt underneath. And then we did the uh, spandex pants with the, uh, the trim on the side. But that's how I did it, is I'm going to dress up. I got into the tuxedo, which was kind of okay. But that's where my mindset was, was if a man can do it and they do it in a tuxedo, why can't I? Why can't I? I'm not going to be doing anything different. I'm not going to be out there acting acting like a girl or a girly girl, but I'm also going to make good delivery and, and be very serious about my job, and that's basically how I, I looked at it. But um, yeah, I, I, uh, I think about it as like, why did I come up with that? And it was just what I had seen. I had not seen the men in tails, but I liked tails. It, you know, it just uh, added a little, a little different. And there was also a running joke that um, Jack Lanza always was telling the guys that he. It, it, Stick your tails back in because they would always have their shirt tails out, and uh, so I thought, well, heck, I'm going to have a tail that 
they can't talk about something. <laughs> and again, it was just an idea that came up and then developed into an actual uh, a costume, which was lighter, and I could wash it, and it got stolen. I can't tell you all. There's somebody running around in uh, Texas and... Um, Oh God! In California, because I'd go to the room and I'd, my, I'd have a backup suit. Well, somebody got in that room and they stole it, so I can, you know, somebody's got a couple of my outfits out there somewhere. <laughs> hey, turn up. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but anyway. Turn up on eBay somewhere. Um, yeah. You know, this was a long, long remove from the Me Too movement, and uh, back then I mentioned it was a man's business, uh, very much so then. Uh, did you deal with a lot of that backstage? No, Sean, you know, God, and, um, I, you know, we were, we worked together, but yet, you know, you were in a different area and they, they really didn't when this stuff came. Oh gosh. I don't, I know you were with us, um, because Linda came on one of the towns that was in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and, um, it was a big deal This, you know, uh, sexual harassment and anything, and they, as a big company, were trying to make sure they were on top of it. And Linda, being who she is, she she ran it, and she wanted to talk to Sherry and I and and sewing girls, and but um, she wanted to make sure there was not anything going on. Uh, being said that maybe we had you know hadn't felt like we could open up and talk to to the men, and um, I mean it was about as far removed from us um, that could be. In fact, I told them I was like uh, Linda, if if I didn't have sexual harassment, I would never get a compliment in this business. And I said you can call it whatever you want, but very rarely, rarely would I get it. And it was later on from Kurt Henning, which is a dear friend, and he stood out and he'd say, hey, you're looking, you're looking good tonight, or a gorilla would give me, you know, but that was a compliment. It yeah. was not like, hey, Buster, you know, shut up. Um, it, was, it, it was your own peers telling you, hey, you, you look good. Never, because, I, I mean, I didn't give them anything to look at anyway, but um, I didn't have anybody... Uh, there were stories out there. I'm sure somebody said, oh, she quit because Vince McMahon made a move on her or something. Never happened. Vince never even tried. Um, <laughs> I mean, there you go. He, he uh, um, not darn it, but I mean, that's the respect I know of him and how I know um, and would feel. Because, um, you know, hey, the guys had wives. And then, you know, every night there is temptation on the road and you see things and you, you don't, you don't say anything. They have families. You don't, you don't say anything. Um, you know how this goes anyway. It doesn't, it doesn't always happen in the wrestling business. It happens in offices and music, but everywhere. But, um, which is sad to say that if that somebody wants to get somewhere or that, you know, they hold your, um, hold that up as a, a ticket. Um, and I never had that. Um, yeah. Nor, of course, Sherry, most of the guys were uh, afraid of her. Um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, nobody and, would touch Sherry. She would have... Uh, no, <laughs> no, I told, I told her one time, it was, <laughs> she, she really liked um, Hawk of Legion of Doom. It, it just liked him very well. She loved Joe, too, but 
uh, Hegstrand was a different character. He was fun to be around with. He was constantly, constantly um, joking and constantly telling Vince, you know, to us where where Vince could go. And, you know, he eventually did tell Vince um, where to go. But he just was a character. Yeah. And, um, uh, Sherry, one night, uh, we were all together because it takes time. I mean, especially when you know that when we've had a long show and you, you go out afterwards and you have a couple of drinks to wind down. And, um, I saw Sherry go after Mike and, and Mike came up to me later on. Sherry went on to the bathroom and Mike came up to me and she, he said, Hey, McGirt, would you please do me a favor and, and tell Sherry, don't kiss me ever again with a bunch of peanuts in her mouth. And I was like, oh, God, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And so, I mean, he, here, Sherry was, you know, putting him on the... Um, yeah, yeah, he, he was being yeah. harassed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to save you from Sherry. And he's like, go in the bathroom and tell her now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, that one time that uh, we were out, all out and there was a gal that was up dancing and she's pretty proud of herself. And she had a bathing suit on but still it was you know she's pretty proud and you don't do that for sherry and not when sherry had you know was in that mood and she looked back at the lady and looked and i thought oh dear oh dear and um yeah sherry sherry got up on there and started dancing and the lady just danced right off and sat in the chair but that was sherry is she thought yeah yeah sherry wanted to uh take over the stage so she did but she was, um, there's one or two people that have said something so nasty and bad and saying, oh, about me and Sherry. I didn't ride with her. Um, uh, well, right there, maybe the last, if she had a car, we were never riding alone. Um, we also um, th- uh, never shared a room together. And it, it's sad because we were, sa- to save money on her part and my part, but again, here we go with the connotation of uh, the two women, and yep. it, because we had to carve out our identities, and yep. our identities wasn't in its bags. We, we were friends, but also too, you had to be careful because somebody would talk or say something that wasn't even true. So yep. you know, but we could, you know, we we were still friends, yep. and um, and it, well, that that's that's crazy, but that's. How I have to imagine. I have to imagine, though, that it was. Uh, it must have been great to have somebody like Sherry around because, like you said, there weren't many women uh, that were on the regular basis. They might bring someone in, but they didn't stay long. I mean, you guys were a regular part of of, uh, of the entertainment of what they did. Yeah, and Liz, you know, and Liz, yeah, and Liz too. But you know, she was with Randy. I'm sure. I don't know how often you guys got a chance, but to have. And all three of you very strong women, but uh, you know, to have that support system, whatever it whatever it looked like, had to have helped you get through those those times because uh, life on the road is not easy. No, and I said when Sherry wanted to do my hair because we mm-hmm. finally progressed into getting a dressing room. Um, I remember Sherry and I struggling over getting a broom closet. True story, yeah. and. Oh. Um, Oh yeah, and um, and and now I went. Oh gosh, probably a year ago, and I was back talking to um, some of the people and uh, even some of the ring crew that was still there, and they're like, "God, 
you are coming back, aren't you? One day, you have no idea what it's like. We have to go down to give tea to Lillian and this. And I'm like, oh, no. I, I, uh. I said, geez, you didn't. You know, I never, I couldn't drink water, couldn't drink anything. Sean, when we started, you know, we'd start like at 7 o'clock at night and finish at 12. And I was down at that ring uh. in, with pantyhose and spandex on. There's nobody that's going to make a quick exit go to the bathroom and come back. I mean, just remember, I was like, oh, my God, I was training my, my um, kidneys to do that. And um, But, yeah, and so I talked to Sherry, and, you know, Sherry, when we finally got dressing rooms together and, and she'd do my hair or else, uh, just we would talk about just, like, the match and what, was, what she was going through and um, that she was going to be there all night and I'll see you, I'll see you at, you know, eleven thirty when I when I come into the ring and and I'd look at her sometimes and, and I'd be, what have you what have you been doing? <laughs> she might have had a couple of drinks of wine or the times that you know I would go and and eat. We always had you know a nice spread, nice lunch, and um, I would bring in the sweet the sweets. She never let me eat sweets. She would throw those in the trash and I would try to hide them from her. She because she. She just said those are bad for you, and um, her she was that way to her son because I remember the son was on the road, yeah. and she told me a story about him. So I, I was crying. I said, "How was your Easter? You don't want to know." And I said, "Sure, honey. How was your Easter? I didn't get any candy from the Easter. All I got it was like a, a fruit juice." And I looked at Sherry, and I was like, "Oh my God!" But yeah, she was that way. She didn't want anybody having sweets or candy. And, you know, um, and she's the one that really, you know, told me she might have smoked a little bit, but she told me, and I soon learned I could not smoke cigarettes and, and, and care for my voice. And my voice was huge, you know, from taking care of it. And when we'd be in Arizona or in, in, um, Vegas or anything, and it's so dry and, Drinking Crown Royal doesn't help either. So I, you know, oh, but you got the lemon in it. Yeah, right. So I would get tea or lemon and and uh, and really nurture my voice that day and and uh, try not to talk. But she would teach me, you know, certain things like that. And also, you know, she 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 worked for my dad. Now let's go back here, and this is where I knew of Sherry. Never knew her back then, but this goes back to when I was still just barely out of high school and um i was in college and she was going with a guy and it was called i can't think it was mike but he was known as the hippie and sherry was his valet and so you know um sherry started in this business yeah way long ago and she was she was tough and to have her like you and uh um but you also again you you carried the weight too and um, so you, you know, all that, if they like you and the, the road that she'd already been on, and of course I admired every one of them because Sean, look, I could never do what that girl would go through. And when a warrior would drop her on her chest yeah. and, well, oh my t- God, and nobody, you know, they don't tell you, you don't see the hurt and the pain yeah. because the professionals until they right. get back and, you know, it's late at night and, and how they're hurting. And, um, you know, she, she never, she said, never said no, uh, to any of the things that, uh, was presented to her and, you know, being with Savage was, was, was tough, I know, but she, 
wasn't anything that that girl couldn't do in the ring. She was tough, 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 and had the tenderest heart. Um, yeah. she, she really did. She would help anybody. Yeah. Well, you know, and you talk everybody. about... I mean, if you ever... You've got to know, here's this girl that has this persona outstage, you know, out, I mean, out in the ring. And backstage, it was, hi, baby, hi, sugar, because, yeah. I mean, that Alabama came out in her, and she was that way. She just, um, she was a southern girl through and through. I mean, Green yeah. Pond, Alabama, hello. <laughs> and I don't think she really gets the credit that she deserves or what no. uh, she's done for those divas that are out there now. But but also for you, Mike, and, and uh, you mentioned a little bit about it, doing commentary, and you kind of just brushed over it a little bit, but... Really, at that point in time, you didn't ever hear women in any, and we, you know, we'll call it sports entertainment, but any uh, situation like that, doing play-by-play and uh, color uh, at ringside. Uh, I don't know if you look back now, but that was kind of unheard of. Uh, you might see a, a former athlete on one of the, uh, you know, sports shows for, you know, tennis or something like that. But did you realize it at the time that you were you were kind of, uh, you know. Uh, a woman who was doing something that men did only. You know, I think it all goes back to the beginning of our conversation. My dad wanted a boy, and I wanted <laughs> I wanted him to be proud of me, and he did. I mean, who ever heard of a blind man doing color commentary? Well, mm. that was my dad, and um, <laughs> <laughs> who ever heard of a woman doing that? And but. Right. My authenticity came from the fact uh, that I, you know, had picked up on it. Obviously, yeah, I hope so. Um, I'd watched it all the time, and that it was something that, like, how would she know? You know, what did she know? And that's why the part that when they started throwing it into, um, you need to be in the kitchen, and what would you know? And I would try to bring the conversation back into what my dad would. Is, is like, let, let's talk about his background. What got that wrestler here? And then we'll go in, you know, okay, they're doing a move or whatever, but, you know, to fill in that way of um, what, he, what brought him to this point. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that was just um, a cue that I took off of just, you know, what my dad would 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 do or how to call it because Bruce would come in and then those two would 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 say something and so I would have to jump in and uh, be ready for the slam you know <laughs> um, uh, because he'd say well what will you know about a, um, a hold like that unless that's something that your old man does to you and I mean there were things said that yeah. you know you couldn't get by with now but oh um, god no are you kidding stuff no, Bobby would no. say I'm like, I'm like, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no no no, no way. <laughs> yeah back then yeah no just comedy so that 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 to uh to do that um was really really fun I, I loved that. Um, I think uh, the most nervous that I got was sitting next to Gorilla. I mean, he, but he fed you. God, he was he yeah, so good. I loved him. I, you know, he and and if I ever, I never, if I ever would have, would have, if if if, but I never knew the stuff that 
uh, Bobby was saying, you know, he was putting me over literally by the things that he would say. Right. And people would come up to me and they said, do you know how bad Bobby Heenan hates you? And I'm like, no. But then again, I didn't know if he really liked me or not. You know, he always was, you know, you know that. He was on top of it. He was constantly Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan, and always with the, the remarks. And um, so I never knew behind the scenes what he was saying. Um, and people, you know, I, I forget, like, when he'd flip me with the towel or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I, all he was doing was helping me, and I loved it because he right. was, he was bringing me into the fold and yeah. so to speak and that again that's acceptance to where it, i think one of the other hardest things to sean was to let them know this isn't i i wasn't there to be the mic show and you know they didn't know at first well what are you trying to do um and there was no beauty contest i didn't feel that um you know i wasn't trying to do that by those big loose men tuxedos so i you know went into it pretty pretty easy um just for the fact of what i was had no idea i was getting ready to um, incur uh, with the remarks or um and i can almost remember too that when i first was doing it how the crowd was just like what you know <laughs> what do you have to say and then i you know i had this voice and um, my dad always said it was loud, so I thought, well, heck, give me a microphone, and somebody wants to listen to me, and again, I used that, what they had told me, is like, if you ever want anybody to listen to you, grab that mic and start talking, and that's that's what I would do, or if I'd hear somebody say something like, hey, take it off, I would go, I would follow that wherever they were, you know, to try to counteract that, but I would let them, you know, without being afraid, I would try to find that voice and nod like, mm -hmm, no, you don't want that. <laughs> so I, I learned to love that part of it, and I loved the more people that were there, um, the better it was for me, because if I made a mistake, um, you know, it was always taken care of in the booth or whatever, but um, there were so many people that it was like, I don't think any of them's really paying attention to me, but maybe <laughs> they were, I don't know. Now, when you had a smaller crowd, that's all. They, I mean, their attention was right there, and and if you made a mistake, and I never, I was worried about falling out of the ring. That never happened, thank God. Um, I was worried. That was another thing. We were not uh, allowed to um, put heel. Uh, I I know you knew this because Sherry would pop them all the time. The mats that were outside of the ring. Yeah. Um, you know, we were told don't do that, and so I was always on the ball on my feet when I would jump out of that ring. I I wasn't. Um, I wasn't having those heels. I wasn't going to. Okay, I wasn't yeah. going to have. Yeah, yeah. Just little things like that. You don't think about it, but when they tell you, it's like, and you've got to put a hole in our mats. You think that they don't do stuff now? That um, yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, you never made, wanted to make waves back then. You just wanted to be uh, a part of it and, and go for it. But yeah, any I, incidents I, really the stand commentary, out? Like I, said, I loved it. Any incidents of ring announcing do you remember that uh, really stand out? Uh, yeah. I don't know if where things went wrong or or just uh, events that just uh, are, are just burned into your memory. Well, I can remember when my hair was like because um, a lot of times when we started out on these on these house shows, we didn't have buildings like they do now with air conditioning in these big humongous places. Um, yeah. And true, we didn't and. 
there was um, a, a match. It was Dusty Rhodes and God, uh, Sherry, and um, she had come in there and she had did, did my hair because it was so humid. And then the building was was hot, and so the only thing we had was like that final net, which is just like just like glue. Yeah. And, um, was. <laughs> Not kidding. So uh-huh. she was trying to put my hair up, and it was up, kind of, I mean, literally, like, up at the time. I walked out of that ring, and I was, it was probably the third match, and she came up, and she put her hand in it, and just like that, and she knew it, because it, it just fell. It went all over my face. It was just standing uh-huh. there, and there happened to be a freaking loogie that somebody had it from the crowd that was in there, and it, when it fell, there was that loogie hanging. I didn't even know about the, the loogie, so uh, yeah. And they couldn't, they could not stop laughing. And here, the bell hadn't rung yet, and they're sitting there trying to hide from laughing. And I'm sitting there just let it go, let it go. You're Thank God that's not on television. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and on top of that, there's this freaking loogie now swinging right there. I thought, oh God, yeah. Or you know, times that you know, I'd be there. And and they'd be throwing beer, and you would you know get the beer. Quite didn't make it to the ring, but it sure got the announcers back. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> and her hair, yeah. So, um, but um, things always happened. I don't. I think you know that. That um, the embarrassing part is where. Um, and they could cut it out. That was the good thing about right. it, that um, they would change. Uh, you know, that I had been told, I usually would talk to the, um, the referee and just confirm, hey, um, we're going to go about 10 minutes, or, you know, he'd tell me if there's been a change. Um, and I said, I'd, you know, he would, I would never know the outcome, or we'd be talking, and, and I would always remind him, I said, remember, this is how I do this is I want it to be natural. I want it because I don't, I don't know. I don't know the, the finish. I don't know, didn't want to know. It wasn't my, wasn't my job to know. So when they would they give me the, you know, okay, by disqualification, so-and-so wins. And that would, then I would go right into it. But I would wait for that announcer to give that to me because the people are looking. Yeah. Well, this one time it changed, but they took care of it because... I said what the what the referee had told me, and then the referee came back. He said, "Oh no, no! I told you wrong! I told you wrong!" And I could see the guys sitting, you know, up there because you that can that could kills the match. It could it uh. could just kill it. They're all, you know, and uh, that's the hardest part is here they go and work, and they've done all that, and it, it's got to all fall together. You know, it, everything's got to you know from the beginning of the match and it's got to flow right and then you go and kill it because of what it's like announcing somebody which happened because i didn't have control of the music and we were in town and in some town and here would become demolition and they have um legion of dooms music or something i mean or the bushwhackers i mean it was it was like oh my god and you'd look up there and just think you idiot you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've, get, you've been given everything and again we had no way to talk to the um control room yeah i mean it was just like cut it cut it so here are the, the talents coming to the ring you could hear them, you know, change and trying to find the music. Oh, just 
and and then you would see an agent come out there, and I can imagine. I mean, what are we running here? But it's a lack of communication where somebody had changed a match, um, moved one up, nobody knew, and boom, there goes the music, and then all of a sudden, you know, you know when it's wrong. <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, it doesn't take you um, very long to know that uh, you. It, it's all wrong, and so I'm the one that they they go to, and so I learned to take that too, and respect yep. from the you know the agents, and that was uh, that was you know there were so many parts to this that you had to get get along and find find your place right. as 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 part of the company, you know well, whether you had you know whether you had the um, from the home base, whether you had that, you had the the talent on the road, you had your agents, and you had, you know, it, there was there was a lot of mechanics to this machine to yeah. to make it work. That and again, when we you were talking about how I was overwhelmed, oh heavens yes, but thank God I knew, thank God I knew, and that my dad had, you know, had, had at least shown me what it was the basis of what it is and what it can what it what how it works but this was on an enormous scale but that i knew that i had to make it and that's all i kept on saying is that you know my dad could what he didn't raise any any dummy and this is you know this is something that was um literally given to me uh to be able to do just because i wanted to make a living i you know and that and it was in the business that i knew so then how our interview started, it, it came off so innocently with the exception that I always thought there's got to be a place for a woman that doesn't get her brains knocked out and she's not, you know, she's not wrestling. And the, it just, that's how it developed. And, and um, yeah, so it, it, um, and I never liked the trailblazing and all of that. I didn't know. I just like the commentating. I was I was taking, you know, uh, lessons from hearing, you know, what I'd heard most of my life and and watching my dad do and and uh, never knowing of that where that was going to take me by what that was, you know, playing in my head um, of doing. So I'm I'm so I I couldn't be more humbled of you asking me about. Um, how this all happened, and and my father, and and just the funny stories, because I I, yeah. I can tell you there's there's lots of them. I can tell you, uh, Davy Boy um, and Sherry, I mean, and me in the back seat. Here we are, the three, the, those in a Cadillac, that we had so much crap and bags because I carried a lot of bags. I didn't know how to pack on the road, and Sherry had the reason to carry a lot. And then of course Davy Boy, and this Cadillac trunk was motorized where you could, you know, it flipped up yeah. and then it would go down. This thing was running constantly <laughs> because it could never shut because we had so much stuff in it. Uh-huh. Uh, we got pulled over by the police, and um, <laughs> Sherry goes, I'll take care of this. Okay. Sherry was an endowed, beautiful lady, but was weather endowed up front. And she, yes. said, and she said, I'll take care of this. She was doing the push-up thing, you know, and I'm looking yeah. at Debbie. <laughs> Like, somebody's going to have to take Who's care that? of us. 
And um, I just, I, I can remember she started to get out of the car and the officer said, you can put those up. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to help you here. And it was, holster um, those girl. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 <laughs> and then oh, he wanted to ask Davy boy something. He was like, so where are y'all, where have y'all been? Cause Sherry had said something. He wasn't going to talk to her. And Davy started in this English accent and he just looked and he looked back at Sherry and then he looked at me and he goes, Oh, what do you have to say? <laughs> oh, God. I don't know, officer. I don't know. They just picked me up. And, um, because he, he was, he could get that real thick, um, English accent going oh, yeah. and you couldn't understand a word he said. Yeah, no, right. But I mean, we looked like a couple of characters, I know. And, um, but yeah, Sherry didn't take care of anything that night. And it happened <laughs> to be, we oh, were, yeah. um, it was in, uh, Tucson. We were coming back from Tucson and going back to Phoenix, Arizona. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> funny. Well, you know, and oh, I, how, yeah. did you, how did you, you had a couple of kids. I don't know how old they were at this time, but how did you balance all of that? Huh. Well, let's go back to how sweet and dear my mama was. And um, my mom and my dad, I could have never have been able to do it. had Because um, I was pregnant. When I first started with Vince, I was pregnant with Max. Yeah. He's my youngest. Priscilla is my oldest. She was three at the time. In fact, I took her on the road because um, she had not started school, so I took her on the road when we'd have long trips, and she traveled. I loved it, it you know. I mean, that was another reminder um, to the promoter, I mean, to the to the wrestlers and everybody else. It's like, hey, I'm not out here looking at y'all's bodies. This is a job. i got kids to raise. Right. So I took her, and then, um, uh, but I was pregnant with Max, and um, I, things hadn't, you know, where I wasn't on the road or the ring wasn't being used that much. So I had a baby, like, in May of 85. And then, um, I mean, within, like, oh, gosh, three months after that, um, I was back out on the road, and my mom was taking care of him. And, and again, like in 1986, when I first started um, in the ring and they gave me the announce uh, because of the radio disc jockey, um, they were all with me. And um, so that was another reason. My mom and my dad and my kids would be going in the motorhome. So oh, wow. it was a it was a family affair. And um, and later on, I would fly my kids uh, to the shows. Like if I was um, through, and they were at television a few times, but um, I would on the house shows. It was much easier to have them around, and not so much of the you know ongoings of the production. And they would. Uh, from the moment I've still, I've got a picture here where we're all together back in a dressing room and, um, they were, I dress them up and they were to run and get the Cokes and the coffees for the wrestlers all the time. Mm. I was like, it's yes, ma'am. And yes, sir. And it started, uh, when Liz was on the road and in the dressing room, um, that's who they hung out with. I mean, Liz was great. She loved kids. She was a sweetheart. Uh, And I, when I first met her, I was thinking, how could this, you know, you, how could this girl look the way she does? She's just got, you know, us girls out here will say, oh, she's got to be a bitch. You know, she's just got to, and she was nothing like that at all. She was, uh, she was my friend. Um, I talked to her uh, weeks before she passed away, and um, uh, it, it just, I kept on telling her, I was like, hey, and we did, Sherry and I and uh, Liz, we were going to be the Golden Girls, and we were yeah. going to retire out in Florida and stuff, and we would tell her, like, come on, Liz, 
put your stuff together. You don't need this crap. And what was going on was so, was so, so sad. I, I watched the thing. Then part of that documentary that they came on the dark side of the ring or whatever, I'm not taking anything away from anybody, but a lot of that is true. But a lot of it is um, when I saw the Linda person um, on there, I was kind of disappointed because of the fact that um, they, it, so much of that was true, but on the Linda thing, she she helped she helped destroy that marriage. She she was not as close as she said she was to Liz, and um, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, when I saw her on there, and I thought, what the heck is you know? No, 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 no. Bruce, yes, and definitely Jimmy. We we knew, but it was like her. I I I don't have uh, much to say as far as credit towards her because as much as I was around um, Hulk, yeah, I barely saw that woman uh, at all um, in the arenas um, at all. And I thought, whoa. But I know that when that happened, so much of that brought back so many memories because I know how, you know, it's true. You know that as soon as they were um, promoting the wedding, <laughs> that was the farthest thing, as we all knew, background that um, was happening. In fact, yeah. I was approached to, um, I was supposed to take Liz on the road. Randy trusted me, and beyond, and Lanny will tell you that. I mean, Randy would, uh, it would be Randy and I a lot of times, because, again, we're, we're second-generation kids, you know, from uh, our dads being in the business and knowing each other, just like Brett, just like the Hearts. I mean, there was that connection um, and the Von Erichs because and and Ted because we were the descendants of of those of our forefathers and and um, I just can remember him saying you know um, this is what they've got and I'm going to be doing this and with the you know I'm putting Liz out of the deal but I want her on the road and I and I want her I want her taken care of and I being going to be everywhere she was and Vince loved it. And somewhere it fell apart, and um, uh, Liz went home. And um, because Liz, and I said, Randy trusted me. He talked. He knew again because um, he'd always say, "He goes, you know the business. You know, you know." And I did. I know that we were of the era where um, a handshake is as good as your word. And I worked that way. I did not have a contract with Vince McMahon to the last two years and because everything he said he would do he did and then it got to be where the college kids and it just like I said it, it, further and further away of the, that I got away from from Vince and, and uh, other people were doing his talking for him and then the contract came in and that was a that was a, a change too but so much was changing during that time and I remember how unhappy um Randy was, and when he didn't know where she was, and I was just, it was, it was, it was painful, because I know by talking to Liz, and when she was around my kids, that, you know, she'd say, God, I, you know, she wanted, she wanted kids, but she would say, and this is the truth, Randy's too jealous, he, you know, he, he, he's too jealous for me to have a kid, 
And I thought, my God. And I, and I, we would talk about it. She goes, God, I love your position. And I said, are you kidding me? And I did. I envied her. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I would love to have a man that waits on me and carries my bags. All I have to do is show up and be gorgeous and wear these gorgeous dresses. And she said, oh, Mike, you don't know. And we didn't. And she thought she would love to have my position. I go, no, you wouldn't, because you're, you're lonesome. You carry your own bags. You do this. And, you know, um, but she was, I get it. She was not able to walk out that room like I was and able to talk to the guys without, you know, him being so jealous. Um, so, yeah, uh, so sad. I, 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 I mean, for both of those people. Um, and Magic. I, I, I know that, and I could elaborate on it, because every time that I talk to Lanny, it's like a part of Randy's there, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's something. He was that intense and, uh, a good guy, a good guy. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I, I, he was, had right to be skeptical. As you hear the Jake, the snake story about the snake, about <clears throat> when they did the, I think it was the, the Cobra. I was Cobra, there. Yeah. I, that was, that was our show. That was when I was announcing, I can remember that. And they have since cut it out, but that snake was so mad and when he slapped him, and but Jake was had that kind of he, and Seth have that kind of humor. It's on the verge of sick, but I love it. You know, it's just his. But he, um, Randy was intense, and he wanted to know about the snake, and that was true. He was like, if it's not, if it's not poisonous, then let it bite you. Well, <laughs> okay, but the snake man was just as crazy. I don't know if you remember oh, him. Oh yeah, oh no, I remember that oh, my guy. God. Had all the he scars was. on his arms. <laughs> <laughs> when that was going on and that snake would not let go of the of the rope, that guy was in the back going, oh, it'd be great. I thought, oh, my God, this guy's nuts. Or I'll tell you another story that's, that's true, going to the snake. And it wasn't the cobra, but it was one that, who knows, that had been sitting around long. Who knows what Jake had done with it. He comes out there, ding, 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 and Jake comes out, throws the, 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 um, the bag, and, of course, he's got it open to where the snake slithers out. That snake was so sick. As he rolled that snake out, it threw up all over the ring. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I made a quick exit, but it, and, and Jake never even got into the ring. And we had, then here comes our trusted ring boys with a bunch of um, brooms, and they're cleaning that thing. What do you do? What do you do? Well, you get on that mic and, and you make something up. And I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but the snake seems to be having Brief a time out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you got to talk to them because they're just, yeah. you know, you got to, um, and, and what do you, you got to start the, the match somehow. Anyway, they got, they did. They got the, uh, the, the throw up out of the way. And it, it lasted probably about two minutes, that, that job, uh, that little match. But yeah, stuff like that. You don't know, or that he would love to do that is let the snake have exercises. Do you ever remember that? And he would let that thing go in the back in the dressing room, and it would be crawling. You'd never know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd clear yeah. the place out. The boys would just uh, yep. run. <laughs> uh, when did, just, when just did... another side of his humor. <laughs> yes, just another, just another little laugh yeah. from Jake. Just another uh, day. At what point now, I mean, in 94, uh, did it just get to the point where it was getting to be too much? And as you mentioned, they wanted you to move to Connecticut. What was going on when you said, uh, you know, it's time to go? 
Well, it began really because um, there was the steroid thing, stigma going around, and um, it, Vince was really spending a lot of money um, uh, on on that to to defend that. We had um, Geraldo and his TV crew at one of our TV shows down there. At uh, oh man, um, I can't I, I can't even think of it, but it was right down from New Orleans and. Um, We'd done New Orleans and then did this show, and here it was this TV crew, and they're wanting to know, you know, steroids and being, you know, just anything to try to talk to somebody, and and so he was trying to uh, Biloxi. It was Biloxi. Oh God, and um, so we were running from that. Um, Vince was going through. You know, um, some some money times. Uh, you know, you had Ted Turner times. coming. Yeah, it was a tough, tough time. So yeah. everybody that had been enjoying that, you know, he flew me out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, for God's sake, and um, and put me on the road. Well, that's where they were looking, you know. And again, I said uh, that two years before, like '92, the more distant it got from from Vince, and then you had the the CPAs and everybody else in between that was trying to cut expenses. Um, right. And one of them was, hey, let me get you back up here, and um, I want you in the studio um, because I can't fly you back uh, back and forth anymore. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of made my you know the decision. Um, came home, my mom just no way she 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 couldn't make the move. And my kids always say, don't put that on me now. Don't say it. Well, no, but you you look at it, it was like, God, now they're in their, their teenagers. Um, it's probably time for me to come home. Um, my my daughter was probably 14 at the time, uh, 13, and Max being young, I'd missed a lot. Um, you know, I was their mom, and my mom stood in for me. I mean, that was just the way it was. And um, I wasn't on the road as much as the wrestlers, but still, I was, I was gone a lot. I got to go on a European tour, so I was, I was gone on Easter holidays. But I had, I had grown up that way. They hadn't. Were holidays were, oh, well, we working. You know, I mean, my dad had Christmas shows. We had Thanksgiving shows. We worked. Yeah. Um, so, but they didn't know it, and they'd go to school and their friends. I was not known back then. I mean, when I'd get on that plane, that life... When that airplane door shut, that life was over, and I stepped into okay, you know the WWF mode. You had to, you had yeah. to get that frame because you're leaving your kids. I'm kind of sad, and they're they you know, oh my god, they're they're games, they're this and that. Yeah, yeah. Then I would come back home, and I'd be getting off of this wild and crazy ride, and where you know you have just, I mean. You can't believe, you know, the, the pressure, and and there's not ever an answer. No, you just get it done, get it done. When you get home, and they're they're kind of like, hey, um, you know, I'm I'm Sergeant Major, like why right in this house cleaned up, you know, <laughs> God, right, yeah. you know, just because I'm gone. So that was hard. That was hard. But it was, I was not known, and the kids would say to me, they go, Mom, why can't you just get an office that has windows? Can't you just be normal? And I was like, I've never been normal. I didn't know what normal was. And it was time then that um, I thought, 
you know, this is what my dad was talking about. Um, even though Vince had said it, Terry Garvin had said it, he was like, you know, you're going to be with this company forever. And I go, oh, yeah, when I'm old and broken and I can't get down in the ring. And I go, hey, that's when we'll, we'll you know, we'll lift, we'll put you in a lift and we'll just send you down on the ramp. Right. Sure, sure. So you, you don't, I know how easily you can be replaced because of my of my dad's promotion, I can remember if somebody didn't do right, or um, they, you were penciled in, and you were erased out, and you could be replaced at any time. So, you know, that, that also told me is that uh, maybe this is my time, um, and um, diversify. I loved the television end of it, and, um, but I couldn't, I couldn't put the two together. So, I applied at uh, TCI Cable here in the production part of it, and um, two months before I was ready to go, then they called and I, they 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 were hesitant about hiring me because they couldn't afford what I'd been paid by Vince, and I knew better. I knew that, and I, I said, "Hey, I know it's hard for me to swallow, but I, you know, this is this is my second life. I'm coming. You know, I've, I got to, I got to, I got to." got to do a real life here um and so that's how that happened um i took computer courses i oh, i didn't know anything but i had you know computers were coming along but i mean it was really fast i had my real estate license which i've had since 1983 that was the other thing that i always fell back on i could always do something with it i never you know i never let it lapse because i didn't want to take the test over again you know um and so I always found time to always do uh, take my classes and keep that just like in the back of your head that your dad right. keeps on saying, you know, something to fall back on. Um, because my degree in broadcasting, I, who knows, you know, you can it, have that degree and where does it take you to some, right. it doesn't matter. They just want to know, well, that you graduated. But anyway, so I started at TCI in the production part and then went into the traffic. And um, that's kind of the trans that is it's not kind of that is the transition i made because i love the production part of where you take something and you know it, it and then it goes out on the air you're making it and i i love the development of it so um that was the the hardest part um was always going back and when they'd come to tulsa and you know it was hard not to see another announcer because they didn't, you know, he was good about that. He didn't uh, hire another female ring announcer for a while, and um, but to see my family. But then it was it was also too a time where Sean, you know, they were splitting up. I mean, uh, Randy was leaving, Hawk had left. Uh, yeah. They were they were they so. were going down to Turner, yeah. and it was not the same. It yeah. just it was not um, uh, and. My God, the tests that they were having, you know, they, they were so, so uh, beginning to, they were growing so big and so fast that the corporate end was, was eating them up, and, and they had to be so very careful. Uh, and I see it now has fully developed that way, but, you know, you were taking, a, you know, the old boy school and putting corporate in it, it, it they, don't, they didn't, that wasn't something that they were going to adhere to real quick. Um, in the office, sure, but not out there on the road. But um, it has since changed, I understand, and have seen. But, yeah, that was the the hardest part is, is seeing them. And then 
losing them. You know, uh, the other thing is like, oh my God, how did that, you know, how, how, why, you know, we partied, we did all this, but, you know, now we're, we're dying. And then, you know, for Owen, that hit hard. Um, I had talked to Owen just, God, not two weeks before. I was working and, um, oh, they were coming to Tulsa, and and um, he'd called, and I said, "Well, how's it going? What's going on?" And for the first time ever that I ever knew, um, they had canceled the show because everybody was getting hurt. Ken Shamrock was uh, believing that wrestling was real and was hurting everybody, and including um, Undertaker and and then um, Owen. And Owen was telling me about this. He he said, "God, you know these kids? They'll do anything." And he goes, "I'm real hesitant," but he said, "Mike." He goes, you know Vince, and that we know Vince. Um, if you don't do it, he's going to find somebody else that does it, and then you're out. And um, I know exactly. I know exactly what he was talking about. And you know, it just, it just, ugh. And and then the drugs, you know, losing him over that, and then to see see it go that way, it just. That was the other thing of where Sherry had told me when she was alive, and they started these. Um, these shows, and my first one was in Indianapolis, and she said, I want you to come on. She goes, I think, you know, you come in here and sign autographs. They'll remember you. This was 19, shoot, um, or 2000, yeah, 2004. So I'd been out of it um, 10 years, and so I went down there, and it was, you know, she goes, bring your socks, do all that, and she goes, or else bring a dress. And I said, well, yeah, because I want to kind of transition, you know, that when I was wearing the tux, I was WWF. Now I'm, you know, Liz or something, I thought. I don't know. But they were disappointed because it didn't have the tux. But mm-hmm. um, Sherry was talking about how um, the business had changed and, and, you know, and I saw her. And I was thinking, my God, how did this happen in just 10 years? But it, it, it did. We started losing them, and I'd see her uh, and how much pain she was in. And I saw her one more time before she died and um i just and it's the same guy that i met and uh he was an uh, he was not a nice guy i mean for he was just this little bitty guy and and me and brutus and um and uh duggan went down there we were all in the show together said and we went down to the room come on let's go get sherry you know now we're going to have a party and uh this guy was in there and he answered the door and he was just he was like sherry's busy and we're like you know he's going to sit there what, he's probably about 5'5", five, five, and he's going to tell these big two guys that she's busy? Well, they ran, you know, they pushed him right to the side, and um, that didn't go too well, and she had to come out to us, and she's, come on, uh, Sherry, you've never let anybody talk to you like this, and, and she's, oh, I know, she's, I'm, I'm, I'm getting away from him, I'm getting away from him, and we were in the hallway, and he was like, get in here, get in here, and I thought, what an ass. So when I heard that, I, I I knew I was like he 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 knew he was getting out and I just I I don't believe um, anyway I I I scream foul play on that deal and there's nothing we can do because at the same time that that happened is when the um, um, Ben the Benoit thing happened the same weekend and um, it was you know that was crazy it, that was just like oh my god. You know, murder in, in the WWF, that doesn't, you know, and, and they didn't think that at first. You know, they thought somebody had come in there to right. Um, right. Chris's place. But, um, yeah, just, I mean, just. Crazy just, times, yeah. Yeah, and you think, how am I scathed by? And so when 
people had started asking for me to go to these shows, I thought, you know what? I don't have anything to say. But then, it, you know, it said, out of all of us, I'm the only female that's left to be able to say something. Yeah, um, you know, I, it, God, they're gone. And I, who's going to say something good about them? And who's, you know, I am. Because, I, you know, you talk about a funny story, one that I talk about oh, so many times, and I will never, never been so scared in my life, but I trusted those two girls. And we were in Munich. And <laughs> I thought but we did, like, five different countries, and I was going to, you know, say good evening, ladies and gentlemen, in all the different languages. Well, they told me... You probably better not do that. But I tried it in German, got away with it, because I wanted, again, to show respect to that right. country and their language. And um, anyway, well, I'm at ringside, right? And Sherry, you with me? Mm. You with me, right? Yeah. Are you there? Okay. Yeah. Sherry and Liz, so they're battling it out on the side of the ring. Uh-huh. Sherry grabs a chair. And then she throws it on the ground, and I'm watching them. Liz has got her back to me, and Sherry looks at me and nods, and I, I went, no, no. I, I knew that look. I, I, I knew what she, she was going to pull my hair. She was going to do something. Yeah, right. And she came up to me, and she pulled my hair, and she threw me, literally threw me onto those mats. <laughs> she goes and picks up the chair. Liz is fighting the chair, and I thought, you two bras, if you don't do this and you throw this chair on me, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. But anyway, the referee, thank God, got there because I, I'm, I was helpless. I mean, those two, and they, I don't know how they kept from laughing because they knew I was scared to death. But um, those are the things that, you know, I, again, they don't tell Mike about it. They, they, I didn't know a thing about it, Sean. So, um, um, you know, so I didn't know what they had up their sleeves. They were like, let's, let's drop it on her. Um, who knows? <laughs> Jerry could be wicked. Jerry could be wicked. Wicked, yeah. yeah. Oh, my, well, yeah. And, and just for her, you know, I was her own fodder. That was the thing. It's like, right. hey. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. worked with her on uh, Spotlight. I know firsthand. Well, Mike, you're an inspiration. I don't mean just for women, but for anybody. Uh, and uh, that's Aww. one thing I love about these podcasts is that there's so many people that are inspirational. I want to thank you uh, for for coming on primetime. Really, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope we don't uh, uh, stay uh, speaking and not speaking to each other for so long next time. And uh, hopefully I'll run into you down the road somewhere. Well, I hope so. And I know that you're on some of these shows. And I missed you. I know you were, weren't you, at uh, Russell Cade? Were you that yeah, I was there? in North Carolina. That's actually the last time I saw Gene, too. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah. And, and see, it's so big. I, you know, by the time they go, well, Sean's here. Well, shh, crap. You know, you can't get around to everybody. And um, so I missed you. But um, I always felt. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but I, I always felt a kindredship with you because of how you were fitting in and and the way. I mean, we were never uh, competition to each other. But we, I, I felt that you enhanced me, and and we were in this medium together. So, um, yeah. I, and, and you, you've always held a spot in my heart. And uh, when um, I was approached and asked, and I have been so terrible not to uh, be on with you. I'm so sorry because Casey has asked, and um, <laughs> God bless him. You all both have been uh, so patient. But again, the, I, this has been a great time to be able to say 
to anybody else. I had some time, and I knew it was coming up, and I was getting ready to go to, out to the CAC, going out to Vegas. And um, we should um, we should t- clarify that that's the Cauliflower Alley Club, which I know you're a big part of, and uh, so much yeah. uh, a part of the world of professional wrestling. Yes, I've um, I've got uh, people that oh my gosh, these articles, and they'll say hey. Um, they're wrestling historians. Tom Burke, in fact, uh, just wrote me and he said, hey, I've got a couple of things on your dad you're going to love to see. Do you mm-hmm. realize, you know, I never got to see my dad wrestle, but to see um, where he was on a card. Um, I, I, somebody sent me one where he was down in Houston and um, May, May Young was on it. it yeah, it, May was on it. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Daddy was History. wrestling Danny McShane and the whole thing. And, oh. and uh, it, it's wonderful because you're holding this and it's like, wow. Um, yeah, so I see people like that, that, um, again, I'm there for my dad and, and, um, anybody of the old timers know that, um, I'm, I'm there for my dad because he would have loved this, loved it. He, he was kind of shy sometimes and, and, um, about it, um, uh, but he loved it. I mean, the first thing that he wanted to do is be around the boys. You know, he he uh, loved being in the dressing room, and and uh, he he was smiling. He he loved that. So for me to carry that on and and to um, to be around those guys and to hear those stories about my dad, oh, it's 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 a wonder. And again, uh, Brian's out there. Uh, Brian has accepted uh, a couple of awards on behalf of. Um, of my dad and me not knowing, I think there was one that I didn't know that he was getting and, uh, Brian was there and, uh, did a fabulous speech from what I gather. But I mean, there's all this kind of kin- kinship that, yeah. uh, that I'm lucky to be around. And, um, well, so yeah, I, I look forward to it. I've not been out for three years. And, uh, so yeah, I'm excited. All right, Mike. Well, thanks again. And, and I love uh, you guys. And Sean, I love you dearly. Thank you so much, Casey, both of you. And I hope, um, I get to do this again with you guys. And, um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I love you. God bless you, Sean. Okay. 